This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts... Joe Lanza. X out. Go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> I love you. Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice of Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Cranch alongside, as always, King of Banter, Undisputed King of Banter, Mr. Joe Lanza. What's happening, Joe? How are you? I'm with the undisputed. There, it is. In, it is no longer in doubt who the King of Banter is. So, really, uh, why is that? I don't know. I, I have no idea. I just decided to add it in there. Uh, one thing I will say: there was a. Uh, so I was. I was during WrestleMania weekend. I met some people before the MSG show. Uh, there was like a, a kind of a food. I don't know what you call it, food hall. I would. Say, I think was the correct name that you would you would call this thing attached to the Madison Square Garden. It was pretty fun. It was like the guys from Social uh, Social Suplex. It was. Uh, uh, Phoenix, uh, Amy O, who, uh, who was a part of our New Japan ebook, she was there, and it was it was fun to kind of talk with a bunch of those people, and then a bunch of voice wrestling guys. Uh, your invite must have got lost in the mail or something. I don't know what happened to it, but um, as always, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, we wanted to, it was a nice casual affair. But one thing that I, t- I was I was talking to the social suplex guys, it was like Rich, and it was Jeremy, and 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 a few of those other guys, and and they told me like the things that they love most about the show. Like they, they, they love the show. They love the show more than I love the show. Like I hate this thing. I, I cannot stand every single show that we do, but they. They they could not get over the Ketsukobashi of sex. They said that now they use it in just like acronym form. They just they, and you'll see like sometimes I see their tweets. And I'm like, what the? There was times where I would see it. And I'm like, what the hell are they saying? It was like hashtag like KKOS, and I'm like, what the fuck is that or whatever? It is that they that is now just kind of a thing among them, like and their friend group uh, is the Ketsukobashi of sex. Also, Fed Defense Squad. They've used that, and then now they they've parlayed that outside of wrestling too to anything like blank defense squad so if there's something that somebody likes and they defend to the key they go with blank defense squad all the time and i just found that just absolutely fascinating but the kento well, sex that one like really works for them <laughs> so i like that we have coined many things on this show and that have caught on elsewhere uh I, you know no i'm not i'm not a humble man so i'm not uh, afraid to say that but the the that actually started with roman reigns defense squad way back in right life. oh yeah yeah okay okay and then it just, you know, like spider webbed out to blank defense squad. And now a lot of people use, you know, Fed defense squad, Gato defense squad, whatever. But it's but it started here. The defense squad thing started right here on the show. And it was Roman Reigns defense squad was where that started, uh, which is ironic because when we, when we coined that, it was when it was like, it was possible that Dean Ambrose might have been someone they could push, and we're going to talk about Dean Ambrose today. Now, the Kento Kobashi of sex thing, those guys came up to me at one of the shows, WrestleMania weekend. I don't remember if it was those guys or someone else that said, excuse I me. Was, I think it was them, yeah. I'm pre- oh, no, because, yeah, you said Rich, uh, Rich Latta. Who, Rich who Latta, yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah he that. came up and said, are you the Kento Kobashi of sex? <laughs> and is- he's lucky that I was. Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's a tough shoot. Because I have, like, I hate going out to people. I, I talk about it all the time when, like, people walk up to me and they're like, hey, are you Rich Krejci? Or, like, I'm walking. Like, 
I, I won't name the name, but there was somebody as I was walking out of MSG in, in this, there's how many, what, 20,000 people, 18,000, whatever, walking out of there. I say a word and this person in the, in a group of thousands of people turns around and goes, Hey, it's rich from voices. Of Wrestling. And I'm like, what? Like, how would you possibly like, so for, for rich to say, aha, this is the kid. And then like, for it to be you, because like, what if it's not you? You you know, like you have just went up to a stranger and said, "Hey, are you the Kentucky of sex?" Like, you got to leave then, right? Like, you can't go to that show. You just have to leave right. and like leave New York and just never come back, right? If you say that and it's not the Kentucky of sex, you could be having a fist fight moments later. <laughs> right. That's a that's a weird thing to say to somebody, but luckily he did identify correctly the. Kento Kobashi of Sex, Joe Lanza at the show. I ran into those dudes at about three different shows, uh, most of which were at the uh, the, the WrestleCon venue. Uh, they were all over the place, and uh, and they were watching shows. We watched shows. What show did me and you watch with those guys standing there? Uh, a little bit of the uh, Rev Pro. It was either Rev Pro or US versus the World. I, no, it was Rev Pro. I think it was Rev Pro. Uh, what are the other? Stand yeah. by the back, and 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 yeah, forget. Same uh, day. A few of them came by. Yeah, yeah, same day. Same day, so it could have been. But that became the designated Voices of Wrestling corner of the room. <laughs> that, that back section there by the bars, uh, by, the, by the mobile bars, and everyone knew that that was the official Joe Lanza pacing section. And then, um, you know, you made your way over there, and then eventually the whole crew uh, for all of the WrestleCon shows made their way to that back section of the room. Can you hear the thunder and lightning here? This is pretty intense. A little um, bit. Yeah, that's good. Though. I like a good yeah. thunderstorm. It's, so it's a yeah. nice ambiance for the show. <laughs> right. Speaking of the Kenta Kobashi of sex, I know you were hoping you'd be let off the hook. Rich, I know you're a big listener of the Bella podcast. Oh, of course. Every week, week, dude. Yeah, come on. Are you kidding? So I'm sure you heard this week's episode, and uh, they they debated Bush or no Bush. And no, this is not the third hour. Do not look at your podcast feed. Do not look down at your phone or your laptop or your tablet or, or your iHeartRadio device, however you listen to the show. We did not skip through the third hour. This is the first 10 minutes of the show. Uh, and I'm not talking about the former President Bush's, Bree and Nikki Bella on their podcast, which Rich is a regular listener to. Of course. Oh, yeah. Um, they got into it. It, it appears that Bree is pro-Bush. Well, that's – yeah, that makes – yeah, makes sense. Okay, <laughs> I was gonna. I was because this. I I missed this week's episode. I will listen to every other week. This one I missed, so I was gonna try to guess which one was which, and it was it was pretty obvious which that which way that was gonna go. So I'm not. I'm and not Nikki, Nikki is strongly anti-Bush, but Rich. They also gave their reasons. Okay. Okay. Bree is pro-Bush because she claims it helps cut down on STDs. I want to get back to that in a minute. Nikki. Claims she is anti-Bush because it makes oral sex more enjoyable. So my first question is to Rich Krejci. Take a stand. Do not fence sit. Are you, are you pro-Bush or anti-Bush? Oh, man. I think I'm, uh, I'm going to side with Bree here. You are pro-Bush? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not bad. I like it. Rich Krejci is a fan of the Bush. Fantastic content. This is what I'm talking about. I wasn't pushing this to the third hour. I think this had is to content. Go up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, okay. We need to drive away <laughs> any potential sponsors who, yeah. who never make it to the third hour and are like, "What are these lunatics talking about?" I gotta tell you, I'm anti-Bush. I'm okay, gonna side that's, that's fair. I mean, I, I have gone. I, I've wavered a little bit. I, I, I'm not. You know, I'm not strongly like, "Oh no!" Like it, it's not life or death. 
to me either way. You know, there are some people that are probably, and maybe you are, is like, oh, God, no way. Absolutely has to be one end of that, the, the spectrum. I'm fine with either end of the spectrum, but if I have a preference, I, I, yeah, I like the bush. I got to be honest. My real answer is somewhere in the middle. But if you're forcing me to pick an extreme, okay, when I hear the word bush, Rich. Yeah, I, I guess, okay, I guess that is a, a very important classic. Are we talking like 70s hustler bush? That is what I'm picturing in my mind. Okay, maybe then I have to kind of fence it a little bit there. Because I'm not, not into like, about, yeah, I'm yeah, not. Exactly. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't consider like a little landing strip or a little astro turf. I don't consider that a bush. When I hear the word bush, you know what I think of? It's a disturbing story, but I'm going to tell you. Oh, please don't. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> when I was about. Okay, was about, do it anyway. okay, perfect. When I was about five or six years old, I walked in on my grandmother. Oh, no. Dear, dear God. This my is the worst Italian show we've grandmother. ever done. We're done with this show. <laughs> Sign off. My, my Italian grandmother. I, got, I think I get the. I, okay. You can keep Not even the Irish but... one. The Italian grandmother. I'm talking up to the belly button, my friend. Oh. <laughs> and I am talking. Why are you thick. telling this story? And I am talking. Nobody wants thick to hear this. Nobody. And white. And she was old. Even your no, even your was, defenders don't want to hear this. Even like the the most staunch Joe Lanza defenders do but, not want to hear this. That is what I think of when I hear the word bush. Now let me tell you, I've encountered a few bushes in the wild. You know what I mean? I'm a man that uh, when I was a single man out there doing his thing, got around a bit. I would say that maybe one out of every fifteen or twenty bushes, uh, you know, conquests out there, I encountered a bush. But it's you know I wasn't deeply offended. Now they weren't the grandmother bush. Don't get me wrong. Like it wasn't like you know that 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 extent. And at first it's a little jarring when you run into one in the wild. You know, well, you would you agree with that? Like you run into like a hardcore, but you're like, whoa. You just have no different. idea what to expect. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. always yeah. It's kind of like oh, all right, cool. <laughs> like it, like it's just, it takes you back for a sec, but then you know then then you're fine. But yeah, it's, it's jarring. Fine. You're like whoa, that's different. That's not something I'm used to. But you know what? We've gotten this far underwears are off i'm plowing forward you know what i'm saying like there's no turning back at that point but i will say this too bushes apply to men as well so it's like i very much believe in a very trimmed area down there now i'm not a full this is a horrible show i'm not a yeah that's what i said what are we doing <laughs> i'm not a full man like i'm not getting down there with the okay but this all right so i'll skip that <laughs> i'll skip my personal grooming but with a man, Rich, are you pro bush? You got a big bush going on down there? Nah, nah. You, I kind of, okay, I, I, I'm not like. Got to like, trim it up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like maybe I'm not like full on. Like there's some dudes who are just like, you know, I'm not in there with a fucking, you know, straight razor trying to get every last little bit. But yeah, you got to keep it a little under control. I gotta tell you, I, I do go with the straight razor. I like to get rid of the cock sideburns. You know what I'm talking about when I say the cock sideburns? I don't like that growth that goes up the side there on the shaft. I got to get rid of that. As far as the the the, the pubes above the shaft, you got to keep them neat and trim. Here's my rule of thumb. If you can grab them with your hand, I think they're too long. That's just my opinion. I don't know. You might roll different. But, but the point here is you are, you, are, you are switching your stance now that I've fully fleshed out. Uh, yeah, I guess like, yeah, when, when, and I don't know. I, I doubt Bree is talking about like full, maybe she is. I don't know. But like, yeah, full on, like, no, like you, you mentioned maybe like the Astro turf, a field turf, if you will. A little, yeah, yes, I, I like yeah. that. A little bit, a little adventurous. Like, like sometimes, you know, like you know, sometimes if it's just completely, you know, done. But yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm more into probably that than the completely clean 
Uh, but yeah, strip. no. You like the landing strip? Uh, you know, that? never, never encountered the landing strip, unfortunately. Never encountered so, the landing nah. strip. Now you never, you don't fly air crates into the landing. <laughs> yeah, strip. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I didn't really have sex in like 1996, so that's I. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Do people still have the landing strip anymore? I feel like that was. I, a, you know, I got to think about that. I don't think I've encountered a landing strip in many years. That's right? what I was gonna say. That was more of like a late yeah. '90s deal, right? It like, was. I was, it was you know, so I was, late '90s. You're right. <laughs> I was like 12, so shocked uh, you know, not one, having a ton of sex. So I had one lady. This one was a surprise. She shaved it into the like the shape of a heart, and I was like, "Listen, that's Ooh. too much." It's Is it, too well, much. did she moonlight as a, a woman of the night, or no? Nah, that it was like, like you can't just like playfully do that, right? Or I, no, I guess that, you know what is playful. I said, "Listen, I, I appreciate, appreciate the effort." It. Yeah, that's exactly. good effort. I can't knock that hustle though. That's pretty good. And it was good art. Like she really got in there and did a nice <laughs> job. She really, but it really looked. But I was like, "Listen, that's good effort," uh, but I. That's a little too much. Just you got to start over. Get rid of it and start over because that is, it's a little disconcerting. I don't know if I want to look at that. You know what I mean? So that was the craziest I've encountered. But uh, hey, listen, it's, it's, I, this is a pro wrestling podcast. This is pro wrestling news, which Bella sided with Bush or no Bush. So I had to get the Rich Crage take. I had to make you feel uncomfortable because I know you're very uncomfortable right now. I know you're tugging at that collar. I know that you're squirming in the chair. I know that you're you're looking over your shoulder to make sure the nurse isn't listening. You know what I mean? So uh, we had to get that out of the way, and I wasn't going to let you get off the hook because I promised the Twitter followers that we were going to do Bush, no Bush. So uh, there you go. Awesome. Well, there you go. Yeah, Topic uh, number one. Yeah. <laughs> Knocked it off there. Uh, usually Not on the run sheet. But... No, no. That's that's. Uh, we usually would go to the sponsor here, but I think we should get another topic in and then go uh, to the sponsor, at least to break that up just slightly. Uh, so let's let's get into uh, some of this stuff. We got a plenty to get to this week. We have uh, Mox, M-O-X. He's here. He's arrived. And we're going to talk about that. The, the John Mox of the former Dean Ambrose uh, made a video this week. And basically announced his uh, his entrance into the independent wrestling world. And we'll see where uh, his next step goes. Uh, there's also some interesting stories out there this week about Leo Rush uh, from Fightful.com. As well as uh, Luke Harper, who uh, had a really interesting little paragraph in the Wrestling Observer uh, this week. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we had two big shows we previewed on the Overrun uh, last week. Uh, the Impact Wrestling's Rebellion. Uh, the NWA Crockett Cup. And then we got to get to uh, New Japan and All Japan. We got Hino Kuni. Uh, the Dontaku show is coming up from New Japan. And then, of course, uh, put a bow on the All Japan uh, champion carnival i think you have you have seen every single match of the carnival is that correct uh no i oh you I, did a late skip oh you did start skipping some of the, the duds later so i had to tap out towards the end i mean we'll get into it in more detail as as we talk about the carnival but um i tried my best but but i just couldn't do it rich as we enter the uh Rewa era in japan <laughs> yes yeah, so yeah happy uh do you do you celebrate it do you, do you say happy Look, I don't know what any of that shit means. Um, I know what what like the Voltron era just ended or something. Well, yeah, indeed, the, yeah, definitely the Voltron era, yeah. And this is the Reiwa era. I can't remember what the other one was called. The Emperor era. What was the other one? I don't I, know. You're it asking me like, right now. <laughs> I didn't know where to. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I apologize. The, yeah, the, the Sanrio surprise era. I, I'm not sure what the other one was, but now we're in the uh, Reiwa era. I think it's the Saitama Superdome. <laughs> or Saitama Sa- Superdome Super era? Arena or Super Arena. I think it was that well, area. You, yeah. If you would have said Saitama era, I probably would have believed you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can't died. remember what it was. It was probably something I can't pronounce is what I'm guessing. Probably not pronouncing Reiwa correctly either. Um, but uh, oh, so what is Brie Bella talking about? How? Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. Yeah, no, I don't. How does having a bush prevent STDs? Is like, is the bush going to catch the gonorrhea? And prevent it from entering 
the vagine or or the reverse. Like, I don't understand. What does she mean by that? I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm a little. Uh, yeah, I maybe, will fully admit I have no idea what she's talking about. Maybe ask the the TLB what what uh, if that's ever something she's encountered a discussion of. Yeah, nurse. that's a that's a that's a nurse. I mean, yeah, I, I'll, I'll try. Yeah, that's I'll, I'll see what I can get out of. She's not home right now, so I'll. Uh, when she the gets only home, thing I'll... I could ascertain is I do know that it's recommended that, like you mentioned, a straight razor. You don't take a straight razor to the privates before you're going to have you know sex because you get those microscopic like cuts from using the straight, you know what I'm saying? Even if you don't necessarily nick yourself, you get those microscopic, maybe that's what she's talking about. Like shaving right before you have sex. I have no clue what she's talking about with that helping to prevent STDs. I don't understand how that's going to like stop you from like getting the drip. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, to I don't me. know how that's stopping gonorrhea, but <laughs> maybe people are unattracted by the bush. Is, and then is, they the, just drip, don't... is the drip gonorrhea, or is uh, it? I don't know what the drip is, Joe. <laughs> is that, so. the, the drip <laughs> sounds awful, right? I don't know what it is, but it sounds I'm terrible. Put the drip STD. Chlamydia is the drip. All right, so chlamydia is the drip. Gonorrhea is just the rhea. And then there's uh, you got the syphilis. The worst the, show we have ever done in, in, in the history of this. We have We have done many bad shows here, but this... This one takes yeah. a take for sure. <laughs> I mean, there, there's the syphilis, there's the there's the herpes, and then you got the herpes simplex B, and then you've got the you know the, the, the oral herpes. You got all kinds of different herp, um, and then you got the big boy. You don't want the HIV. That's the one you don't want. Well, I really don't want any of them, honestly. Uh, but yeah, so uh, you know, some of them, you know, you just go down to your local pharmacist, pop a pill, you're all right. Not that I would know, but I'm told that that's how you take care of some of these. So, uh, you know, the, the, the herp is the one you don't want to, that's, that's for life. That's a bad one. Right, one go away. one. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're all pretty yeah. bad. <laughs> you want to try to avoid most of them. And, and apparently, uh, having a, a very, uh, I don't know, bushy bush is what uh, prevents that. According I don't, to Brie Bell, I don't I mean, know yeah. how, yeah, I don't know. I, Brie should really, um, yeah, that, that might be bad advice to uh, the women of the I world. I don't know if you're going to the <laughs> Bella podcast for medical advice. And, and after that bit of advice, I, I don't think, you know, I, I think that's Well, verified. given where a lot of people get medical advice from these days, like it, it is a little dangerous to have Brie Bella say that because there are a lot of people that will uh, probably go with that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's not really something I could put in uh, my Google. Is, is having a bush a way to prevent STDs? Let's see what comes up. <laughs> Uh, going bear down there may boost the risk of STDs. What the hell? Bree was right. I don't understand. It's got to be the shaving thing. It has to be. Okay, I think it's just like this weird... Oh, you know what? No, hold on a minute. I think this is just like really bizarre um, like stat work and like they're basically saying that people that have that 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 do shave are more likely to get STDs, but I don't think it's a result of the shaving. You know what I mean? Oh, it just means... It means people that are shaving are probably fucking way more than people that aren't shaving. Right, because you're trying to stay groomed because people right, might right, see right. it. So there, it's not like a correlation thing. It's more of a correlation thing that... Well, you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. It's correlation, not, not causation. Yeah, it's, it's correlative, right. not causal, causal. So yeah, that's... I think what Bree's going at, but whatever, Bree, if that works for you, then uh so it's like the people who hand wave it and go, ah, no one's getting down there anyway. They're obviously not getting STDs because they're not having sex. That's all that means. I think so, yeah. I, I can dig in a little bit. Or maybe we have some somebody that knows uh, that's listening to the show right now if they haven't already deleted it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh God. So, all right. Poor Amy O if she's listening. I'll tell you. Yeah, that. I know, I know. She was she was very not nice. A, not but, a good uh, show for Amy O. Yeah, she's yeah. definitely unfollowing us now. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, Amy. I, I apologize. She keeps Hopefully. it clean. Her content is clean. Andrew, very Andrew, clean Andrew, and his uh, eight-year-old are listening to this right now too, um, and he's having very difficult conversations. I'm sure in the car right now, trying to explain. Oh, with the eight-year-old. What the hell, Joe and Richard are talking about? So that's. Uh... Yeah, skip forward, skip forward. <laughs> but it's going to get good here in a sec. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to the WWE stuff here. Uh, we got Mox and we got Leo Rush. We'll start with old Mox here. M-O-X, John Moxley, uh, making his return to the independence with a video on Twitter uh, as of this recording. 2.5 million views. Uh, the video shows uh, Moxley breaking out of prison. Uh, he's using the name Mox. Uh, some imagery that I thought was pretty funny. Of course, the breaking out of prison. Uh, we'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, being chased by a rather large dog, if I don't say, Joe. Appears to be a uh, a Great Dane of some sort. So it's not the... I wouldn't call it a big dog. I would call it a a, a large dog, if you will. Uh, he's grabbing a hold of uh, barbed wire. He's shadowboxing in a ring. He's lifting weights. He's being chased by cops. Uh, and then he walks by a pair of dice displayed on a wall. And they make a two and a five on the dice, which I think... Uh, hmm. do, you, do you recall the date of Double or Nothing, Joe? Uh, you know, I didn't, but now obviously I know it's the twenty fifth. Yeah. Uh, what, what month is that? Uh, of May. So oh, it's I don't coming know up. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that was just like something that kind of just randomly happened, or yeah. But you know, I, I doubt you would have a. You have you have a lot of options when you say, "Hey, we're gonna put two. You know, we're put a pair of dice on the. Uh, you know, on the wall. What number should we pick? And the numbers picked are, are you know two and five. Yes, it's reversed, but mm, I don't know. Or you know, you know, what I mean, or it's two. It's the actual date itself, the two and the five. So I don't know. Yeah, it, it to me. I, again, I don't know if that's a red herring for, for something else or if it actually does mean uh, that he's AEW bomb. But either way, uh, what'd you think of uh, old Mox's video here? Well, first of all, can we just get this out of the way? Can we stop with the conspiracy theories that WWE produced this video oh and that God. all of this is a work and he's still in the company? Can we just stop this utter nonsense right now? Okay. The guy left, left on his own volition. Now, I concede that it was very weird how they treated him leaving with, they must have told him 19 different goodbyes. I mean, geez, you had the final shield match against um, the boar horsemen on the, on the pay-per-view, which ended with them putting their fist out, you know, then you had the the final raw. Then you had this, they, they did the network special with the final shield match. I have never seen them treat somebody departing the company, uh, you know, outside of retirements. And they don't even treat retirements like that. this. This isn't a guy retiring. He's just leaving the company to go work. Presumably, uh, for competition, and I've never, Rich, have you ever seen them treat anyone like this on the way out of a company? It was so weird. I've yeah, it was it. it was bizarre how much they 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 publicized it, how much they just did. Yeah, like you said, there was like five or six goodbyes, and it was like, well, he's got to say goodbye in Seth Rollins' home state, and he's got to say goodbye on Raw, and then he's got to good, say goodbye on pay per view, and, and and like I have never, yeah, I've never seen that much pomp and circumstance. I've never seen them be. As, as sometimes they do, it, and we talked about it when when it was kind of happening at the time. Like sometimes they'll kind of address you know, there's rumors going around that this will be his last match in, in you know WWE or whatever. But they were like straight up like, yeah, Dean Ambrose isn't renewing his contract and he's going to be leaving at the end of the month or whatever. Like they never do that. And we talked about maybe never. you just want to kind of get ahead of the story. You want to sort of tell the narrative on your own. But it wasn't like they said, yeah, Dean Ambrose is leaving and and this will be his final month or whatever. They did kind of do that, and then they just went fucking nuts with just like shield reunions and send offs and goodbyes and videos and explosions and pop and circumstance. And it's just like nobody ever gets that. Nobody ever does that. So I don't know if that was a last ditch effort to say, "Oh God, please don't go," or "Oh God, you know, stay with us," or or what it was. And that's you know, even even uh, Dave Meltzer, I was listening on Observer Radio, even sort of said like that's why he's wondering if he's going to AEW because like 
if they had any inkling that he was going there, if he didn't straight up say, hey, look, guys, I'm not going to AEW or sign something that says I'm not going to AEW, then it would almost make sense. That they were like, all right, cool, whatever. You're going to do CZW or some bullshit. Who cares? Like, go ahead and just leave and, and, and we'll do that big moment or whatever. But, like, if there's even an inkling that he's going to go to, you know, your presumed new competition, like, you, it's just, yeah, they just never, ever do this. So I don't, I don't know. It's completely and let's not. And let's not forget, I mean, it's Dean Ambrose. I mean, it's not like it's Bruno San Martino, you know? It's a nice little upper mid-card wrestler. Um, so that makes it all the more bizarre, too. It's not like this guy was, um, you know, the top star in the company at any point. Could it be, Rich, that you and I are underestimating the popularity of The Shield due to the fact that neither one of us particularly have any kind of emotional attachment to The Shield? We thought they were a nice little act. Uh, beyond that, we like some of their, you know, trios matches or whatnot, but I don't know. I'm I am completely indifferent on Roman Reigns. I am completely indifferent on Seth Rollins, even though he's a nice little wrestler. And Dean, I thought they had a chance to make a star out of him, but I think he's kind of a below average wrestler. And if it were up to me, I, I wouldn't miss that guy if he never wrestled again, if to be completely honest with you, although I'm excited to see what he does moving forward. So we don't have that connection to the shield that a lot of fans do. Are we underestimating how big the shield was and maybe that's why they did all this yeah maybe they're just trying to get like but even (laughs) i mean even then like i'm just trying to think of other people that have 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 left and they've never i mean there's been bigger stars there's been bigger stars in the shield that left and they just never did this before but maybe it was just a maybe just a thing to pop some network things pop some ratings or whatever i don't but it's just it's so out of character for them maybe we're just not used to this and this is kind of how they're going to go about it and and just do whatever they can with the person departing and 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 try to get something out of them but like they're not even doing that with like you know, we see the revival asking for the really, and then like, of course, the revival are far, 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 farther down the totem pole than Ambrose and the Shield or whatever. But like, they get mad at that. You know what I mean? Like, their usual thing is they get mad at people. You know, Brock Lesnar right, says right, he's going right. to leave, and they they embarrass him out of the way, and they, they just tell him to go. You know, the, the, the previous, the first time he left or whatever. You know, Goldberg, same deal. Yeah. You know, he's, he's about to leave. They just embarrass him out of the way out there. Anytime guys are about to leave or finishing up or in their final little things, it's always embarrassment and burials on the way out. That's just the way they've done it forever, dating back to the eighties. You know, dating back as long as. Man Jr. has owned that company. That that's sort of been the way that it's it, it, it's been. So for them to do just a complete 180 with Ambrose and just bow before him as he's leaving, it's like, what are you? I, to me, I don't know if it was last ditch. I don't know if they were just thinking that one day he'd say, you know what, I enjoyed doing the fist bump with the Shield. I'm back, guys. All right, you got me again. Like, I was that. I don't think it's that. Like, I, 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 that's wild. I've heard people say that. That's not going to talk him into staying. I that that kind of stuff. So I don't I don't buy that at all. It's just. Look, and again, it's not like he's Macho Man Randy Savage. I mean, he's Dean Ambrose. It's just so weird that of all people, he got this kind of uh, you know extended send-off. But look, there are people who love The Shield. Rich, if The Shield never teamed again, I, yeah, I'd don't be care. okay I with that. I couldn't, I couldn't possibly care less. Care less. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't possibly care less. But, if it, but you know when that Shield reunion happens, and it's obviously going to happen, people are going to go ape shit. So it could just be that it's just we don't care as much as other people, and maybe they are a bigger deal than 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 we're giving credit for. I don't know, but as far as the video goes, um, I thought it was tremendous. I mean, it was it was better than anything WWE did for him post the very early day, earliest days of the Shield, because I think they introduced the Shield perfectly. You know, with the big angle at the end of Raw where they put the I forget who it was, uh, put him through the with triple power bomb through the table, and the early days of the Shield they were handled impeccably it all went downhill from there um 
I think they but, put uh, didn't they put Ryback? Wasn't that Ryback the first one? Because they, they were kind of the muscles. They were the because they were trying to figure out. This is back when they actually were you know still able to create stars. Uh, is in like a few months they said, hey Ryback, we're gonna make him a star. So we're gonna do is yeah. we're gonna have him win every one of his matches. <laughs> And look like a star. Novel. Novel uh, and then we're going to have him against CM Punk. It popped a huge pay-per-view number because you had yes, Punk who had his long title reign uh, because he just went out there and beat people for months on end. Then you had Ryback who just beat people for months on end. And then they had a match <laughs> with two people right. that beat everybody with for months on end. Uh, but then they didn't wow. want to obviously have Ryback loose. They found, I think they, they figured out some weird way to, 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 cause that's when we had like, remember one time we had a crooked ref and then we had the shield debut and stuff yeah. like that. So I'm pretty sure that's, that's who they initially put through the table was, was Ryback back, back in the old days, Joe, when they, uh, the early aughts when they used to be able to uh, create stars by just having them win matches. So, yeah, I mean, point being, this was better than anything the company produced for him. Definitely as a solo. And uh, look, he was back in this in this video. You felt that edge that this guy has when he's able to be himself. You felt that edge that he had in the early days of the Shield when he was United States champion and the other two were tag team champions. You felt that early edge that he had. Um, you know when he felt like like the bastard child of like Rowdy Roddy Piper and Stone Cold Steve Austin, which is what I would always say about him, and where he was creepy. But it was it was subtle. He was creepy, yet he was the smartest guy in the room. You know that was the tone that he had at the time, and they totally flushed it down the toilet when they, you know, once he started wearing jeans, rodeo clown. Yeah, once he became a rodeo clown, and he that became was... a rodeo clown. When it became when the unstable stuff became, you know, it was hit with the subtlety hammer, and they just they made him into just a, a deranged lunatic, and 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 totally missing the essence of what made the guy different and what made him stand out. Uh, of course, because they always do. Um, right. they, they just completely whiffed on on what was compelling about him and, and just leaned into, you know, the, the the cartoonish aspects of it. And he squirt mustard and all this. And of course, that all led to why he wanted to leave. He got tired of doing, he said flat out that he got tired of doing uh, silly cartoonish things and, and he let his contract run out and here we are and then you see this video and there was nothing silly or cartoonish about it it had that edge uh, uh that that i just spoke of that that he now seems to have back and i thought it was very well done and i love the imagery at the end of him with the barbed wire on his fist and you know the blood and the barbed wire and um you know all the hinting and all the symbolism that you mentioned breaking out of an asylum being chased by a big dog and all that and no, I don't think any of that was accidental. And I, I do think it was all done, uh, you know, intentionally. And, um, you know, he, he, he's basically equating leaving the company with escaping an asylum or escaping prison. <laughs> right. People want to say that the company <laughs> produced this. It's, it's ridiculous. And, and to point, I know you want to talk about this for a minute. Yeah, but to yeah. point to the production values, I'll just say quickly, this man very likely is worth over seven figures. If he wanted to pay for a video like this, it, he can do it. And I, I don't even know anything about that world or how much something like this would cost. You know more than I do. Uh, he can handle this. This isn't that big a deal. People are making this big deal about the production values of it. We see videos like this produced by by Impact Wrestling, who's not exactly rolling in money. We see videos like this produced by independent wrestlers produce videos like this these days. You know, this wasn't that far ahead of the field in terms of uh, of, of, of a video that was super expensive to produce. Rich, talk about that for a second. Yeah, no, no. And that, that's what I saw a lot of like, oh, okay, this has to be WWE. Look at how well produced it is or look how much money went into this. Like, and, it, Before you go, can I add yeah, yeah. one more thing? Yeah, go ahead. 
WWE hasn't produced anything this good. <laughs> this is better than anything they've produced in years. Yeah, it was. It had shadows and colors. It wasn't bright as fuck with a thousand jump cuts. So that's how you know that they didn't produce. Yes, it, so. this was actually this was so not their style because it was actually good. But anyway, go ahead. No, and like the idea that like oh, it it it, it takes a billion dollars to make something like this. It doesn't. It, we, we see uh, it evolve. And I mentioned I mentioned him by name, and then a bunch of other people you know chimed in with with, with other people that are doing great work. And and it was just like I just sent you know I just kind of mentioned this one person because I think he does a lot with very very little resources in terms of like where he's able to shoot and and what he's able to shoot and how he's able to do it or whatnot. But uh, you know, Ken Johnson who does all the stuff for for evolve like over the years, uh, last three four years he's been doing stuff for evolve. Like those videos are awesome. They're super well produced super good lighting super and that's just that's just i dude with a light a camera and a little bit of editing that's all he's doing there we look at the janela stuff like obviously they hired janela's guy that was doing a lot of that work but that that was all self-produced and self-financed and that was before janela became what he is today and even then like i joe who who do you think has more in their bank account right now dean ambrose or joey janela nothing against joey janela at all but who has more in their bank account dean ambrose or joey janela yeah, obviously it's a rhetorical. I mean, yeah, question. yeah, it's and that's yeah, nothing against Joey. He's obviously doing great work, but but Ambrose is 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 so. But even then, he doesn't need that much money to pay for it. Before Janela even burst onto the scene, and before Janela was doing all this stuff, it was just him and a guy, and they would find good settings and a few lights and a few good, decent-looking cameras, and they were ready to go. I mean, the OTT, OTT is another great example of stuff. I think uh, I forgot. I, I blanked on the guy's name. I think it's Sean or Ryan, or, or maybe it's Sean Ryan. I, I forget his name exactly. He does incredible stuff too. Not much to it. It's 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 just skill. It's just no buying decent equipment in 2019, a few lights, and just an idea of where you want to be and an idea of what you're going to shoot, and and you go for it. It's not that and much. A good like, editor, and right? A good editor. And, and and the idea that this thing costs a billion dollars, like Joe, honestly, like me and Iron Mike Spears were talking about this. He does production as well. I do it as well. We were honestly thinking if you rented the lights and rented the camera and rented a few of the like you were looking at, honestly, and this is maybe even higher. You could do the Ambrose video for under $5,000 easily. But Rich, here's the thing. Even if it costs $25,000, he's got he it. <laughs> right, right, that. right. He's so gotten hustled by some guys. So, some guy might have said, yeah, I'll do it for 25 And Dean Ambrose said, yeah, cool, whatever. <laughs> like, just do it. I don't give a shit. Here's it, here's it on the deadline. Like, it is not difficult. There were some special effects. I mean, he's punching through a brick wall, and there's there's some things in there, I guess. But what you're saying is the lighting and things like that, that's not as difficult and expensive as people seem to perceive it to be. Yeah, I, I think one of the problems, too, and I wanted to bring this point up, and I did a little bit on Twitter, is I think a lot of, especially American wrestling fans, what we are used to in production is garbage. Everybody else is 15 years behind the times. You know, there's not, there's a 10% of American promotions that get it. I mention all the time, you know, Defy, I think kind of gets it in terms of their production. Ken Johnson, who I mentioned, gets it in terms of their production. There's some other companies that are rising up a little bit. You know, AEW, I think gets it. Freelance, many, many years ago, got it in terms of, hey, just get somebody with a decent fucking camera that was bought in the last 10 years and an editor that knows what the hell he's doing and a little bit of care and 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 effort in terms of lighting and and settings and and all that sort of stuff and you can your stuff can look better than 90% of what's out there because 90% of american indies look like shit they look 15 years behind the times and i know that it for some people it's a financial thing but you know camera gear has never been easier lights have never been easier to to acquire they've never been cheaper to acquire cameras have never been cheaper or easier to acquire so and and what's interesting too is we see in Europe like all these they, they, people blow 
Europe blows America away in terms of video production. Remember the first time we saw progress, and we talked about it on the yeah. show. We were it was that Finn, uh, the, the the what the Prince Devitt versus uh, Zack Saber Jr. match, right? I forget yeah, what progress yeah. chapter it was. And like, do you remember the hype around that? Like, oh my god, how are they doing? Oh, look at this video. Look at this production quality. Look at this. Look at the, and like, it wasn't that much, but it was just a little bit. It was just like they had decent cameras. They had cameras that were purchased this fucking decade, and that, and that's all it was. And then you see companies like OTT and WXW and um. You know, Riptide is a a, a one too that does kind of a cinematic style thing or whatever. You see this stuff. God, the Triple W we talked about. You know, with the A Kids X Saber Junior match. It's like those guys are ahead of us. This, the guys in Spain that it's just this random ass company are way ahead in terms of like how things look and how the arena should look and how the the arena should be lit and that sort of stuff. So we sort of take it for granted. I think American wrestling fans in particular take it for granted and just don't understand how easy and how you know affordable it is to have decent production because ninety percent of what we consume it, it, it looks like garbage. And and I think that's a problem or we're just kind of used to you know wwe primary color stuff and we're not used to uh you know other companies doing stuff but yeah everything, everything kind of looks like ring of honor in 2002 still you know what i mean like guys backstage with some shitty camcorder you know cutting a, a promo and you can hear the ring in the background and that sort of stuff like get past that like we're, we're we, there's so there's so much more technology to, you know to do and, and and whatnot and and i brought this up as well david Starr. All David Starr did is bought a fucking ring light, which is probably like $49, a decent camera, decent DSLR camera, turns off the lights in his room and cuts promos and people think it's like the greatest thing ever. And it is. The promos are awesome. He does a fantastic job with the promos, but the production is like he's paying. He may have paid $400 total for that entire thing. And how much traction has he gotten out of those now? Just by having a fucking ring light, just by having a light and nothing in the background. And just by having a decent camera and a microphone where you can hear him. And that's it. That's all it took. And he's transformed his career. He's become the best promo guy in the business by just putting a mild amount of effort in there. So, so the idea that like old, this production can only be done by a billion dollar company is just absolutely ludicrous. It's not. It's just that I think we're, we're so used to stuff looking like crap that we're not used to stuff looking good. And, and, and looking good doesn't mean that it costs a billion dollars. Looking good just means a little bit of effort, a little bit of time, a little bit of care. And if it, even if it did cost $50,000, Dean Ambrose can fucking pay for it. He doesn't need them to pay for it. Right, and it's like you know the Pat Buck Buzzkill video that he put out, uh, you know, a couple months ago. Uh, oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Special yeah. effects, and you know, Ricky Starks has been putting out. He put out two separate self-produced videos, um, you know, that that look good and are easily presentable for 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 television. And then you look at TNA, well, Impact, um, you know, with the Undead Realm stuff. How far ahead is the Dean Ambrose video from some of the Undead Realm stuff that they've done? You know, it's look at the Hardys. The Hardys did shit by themselves in their backyard. You know, so it's like it's it's it. Look, I, I look. The Ambrose video was well done, and I do think it was probably a better production than a lot of the things we're talking about. But it wasn't so far and away to where it cost a million dollars to do this. Is the bottom line. So you know, I think people got carried away with that with the idea that he and and then this other one, Rich. Well, it came out so quickly. He must have done it while he was still under contract. <laughs> well, well, listen. The guy has days off, you know. I mean, maybe he did do it while he was under contract. Who gives a shit? He also has been gone for a week. Maybe he did it three days ago. He could have filmed it three days ago when he wasn't under contract. Also, tampering is not a thing. Just that that's people have this idea that it's a thing and it's not really a thing. Like you can do whatever you want. Like you were allowed to, you know, even though you're under contract to WWE, you're allowed to, you know, on your days off, film a video of you doing stuff. Like it's not against the rules to like allude to the fact that you might be not employed with them in a bit. How would how would that break his contract? <laughs> no, anyway, yeah. if on his day off he shot this video that he didn't release until he was done with the company, he could do whatever he wants in his day off. 
So, I mean, you know, that's absurd too. But people just jumping through hoops to try to, you know, pass this off as some kind of work is ridiculous. The video was great. It had to get you excited about what his next steps are going to be. Again, I don't think Dean Ambrose or John Moxley, I guess we should get used to saying John Moxley again, um, is any kind of great wrestler. I don't think he is. But there are things that he can do that are very interesting. I mean, obviously, game changer wrestling. He has an entire slate of dream matches on the table, whether it's with uh, Joey Janela or Jimmy Lloyd or Masashi Takeda or, you know, whoever the fuck else, uh, Cicrope, whoever you want to do, Rich. Okay, he's got a whole host of fucking matches there if he wants to go down that route. I'm all in. I'm all in on Deathmatch Moxley for, like, a few months. Like, you know, <laughs> to me, like, I understand that, like, the AEW thing, like, they're going to probably want to get him. I'm sure they've called. Like, that's a conversation that's happened for, for sure. Yeah. Man, it'd be pretty cool if he just kind of did. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just do GCW for, like, a few months and then go and do that stuff. But, you know, like, have, a, like, a death match with Alice Cologne or whatever. And then, and then go do AEW. Like, go make your money. Yeah. But, yeah. Maybe he'll go back to CZW and try to revive that a little <laughs> bit. Help them out. Maybe. I mean, you know. Who they can certainly I mean, use it. They can certainly use a, it. Yeah. He's a weird guy. Maybe maybe Gabe calls him and he, and he you know, he, he wrestles Austin Theory. Maybe he, uh, maybe he does PWG. Maybe he, you know, there's a lot. He, there's a million interesting things for him to do because he hasn't been on the scene for so long. I mean, this is a guy that got signed, what, in 2013 or something? Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's. There's a lot of things that he can do that the scene is completely, it's a completely different universe than the indie scene that he left before. And like you said, that doesn't even, and that's without even going down the A, the, the, the all elite road. So uh, 2011, by the way, in case there's probably screaming that that's when he signed his developmental deal. So 2011, and then he was up in right. I mean, I mean, think of the world that we were in (laughs) at that point. I know he did a, he did a few shots for DGUSA, I want to say, but yeah, this was like a a different world. I mean, I was, he was doing FIP and CCW and little stuff like that, but yeah, it's, it's like a different universe. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he did. Um, he was just starting up with uh dragon gate usa and i think evolve he did a couple did he do evolve or just dragon gate usa i don't remember now yeah let me let me try to find out if i could get that but he definitely was doing stuff for gabe right at the end there right before he signed and um yeah so a completely different scene now i mean you're you're talking you know eight years at this point that that he's been um off the scene so um you know and he's gonna command a shit ton of money at first and um yeah, it'll it'll be. There's a lot of yeah. He, stuff uh, so the table. He, he did so a did few. You get he, that including main eventing Evolve Seven. Aries versus yeah. Moxley was the uh, title yeah. of that one. So at uh, at BB Kings uh, Blues, the one you, we talked about a few weeks ago, the BB King uh, one. But yeah, no, he so he did. Uh, yeah, he did Evolve Three, Four, Five, Six, and Seven, and then he was out. Yeah. So I mean, like you said, though, I'm sure AEW has made a play. Oh god, yeah, um, they'd be foolish not to. They've called everyone. I mean, as we know now, they've made a play for Batista. They've made plays for CM Punk. Why would they not make a play for this guy? So you know, we'll 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 have to see what happens. Um, I'd be, I mean, I'd be surprised if he doesn't end up there. To be completely honest with you, because it'll be the best paying gig he can get. And it's not a full schedule and he can be a top guy. And, and I think those things all might be appealing to him or he doesn't give a fuck about any of that anymore. 
and he just wants to, you know, roll around on scissor boards with Jimmy Lloyd. <laughs> that may be. I have, yeah, I have I no idea. He is, as you, you know? said, he's a weird guy. Like, it, yeah. you know, he, he, and that's, and that's what, you know, early shield stuff played into that. Like, and you talked about mysterious and just kind of like weird and, 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 and people loved him for that. Do you remember, I was going to mention this when you were talking about how over he was when, you know, some of those shield days, do you remember? And, and this is like early days of this podcast too, like women fucking loved Dean Ambrose and I never oh, got yeah. it. Cause he looks kind of weird, but that like, they loved it. Like I know my wife, you know, the nurse before we, we, you know, we were married. She fucking loved Dean Ambrose. And I was like, I don't get it really. Like, and she's like, no, there's something about him. I don't know what it is. And like, I remember I, I, I crowdsourced it on Twitter and everybody was like, oh yeah, no, he's real hot. Or, oh no. He's like, I don't know what it was, but like, and, and you remember like those pops that yeah. he got, a lot of it was like the women screaming, like they fucking loved Dean Ambrose. There was just something about him man. the Tumblr community like it's that, was it's all about creepy, Dean Ambrose too. Yeah. It's a creepy sex appeal. You know, some cre- sexy about, and they even killed that off. Right. I, they, I know. That's what I was going to say. They just decimated that, that immediately. Yeah. So yeah, but uh, but that's going. That's what's going on. Did you have any more uh, Moxley points? No, or, I think that's uh, about I it. Say this. I got. Oh, I got a big one. Yeah, go ahead. He is undoubtedly pro Bush. Oh, you think? Oh, he's pro Bush. Come on. You think he's got Renee? Because uh, <laughs> I I feel like Renee probably. I think, no, uh, no, no. I think he's rocking the Bush. Is what I'm saying. Oh, he is. Oh, okay, I was gonna say Renee is is not. She's she's a classy woman. No, 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 no. Renee, I believe is anti Bush. I think I think Mox M O X. I think he's pro Bush. Interesting. I think, okay. Yeah, I, that, that's the that's the vibe I'm getting. Come on, can you see him manscaping? Let's be honest. Nah, not really. No, you don't look like a manscaper. <laughs> you know. I could, you know, I honestly, what I could see him doing is a little bit of like the not not the heart, like your your girl, but kind of like I don't know, putting a little like putting the two guard on there, leaving a little bit, but then also like kind of shaving it up to the belly button or so, something weird. He, he what on me earth that are you guy. talking about? What I don't are, know. What are, you, what are you even saying? <laughs> Never mind. Transition. I'm done with the mocks. I'm done with the mock stuff. Yeah, but that's uh, I, I you know, last little point that you mentioned, um. All the fun stuff about scissor boards and and Alice Cologne and sequel pay and all that sort of shit. He's he's probably just going to AEW because it's like it's a no brainer. You, you know what I mean? I'd like I hope he does it. I I hope that he does some other stuff before that. But it's like you know, roll out of bed and, and you're back to making decent money again. It's it's and here's know, the thing. A, remember schedule. and remember his contract ran out. He didn't have to ask to be released. He didn't he didn't have to go through any of that bullshit that some of the people we're going to talk about are going through. He simply let his contract run out. He didn't have to make some handshake agreement. We'll let you out of your contract, but okay, there's none of that. So he can do what he wants. He's free and clear. Um, the only suspicious thing is the over-the-top farewells that he got. That could be a tip-off that he gave them some assurances, but I don't, I, I don't buy it. I think I, at the end of the day, I'd be very surprised if at some point he doesn't wrestle for AEW. Yeah, like I don't know what uh, what 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 contractual things you can even do with that. You know what I mean? Like you can maybe give like a handshake agreement or or something like that. But at the end of the day, like and 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 like we talked about that with Kenta too, where it's like because it was weird that they let Hideo Tommy just kind of go and and you know I sort of speculated that maybe he said, oh, well, I'm not going to go to New Japan or whatever. But that might only you know that might just be a thing where you go, yeah, you know, I, I won't go there, and then like two months later you're just there. You, you know, uh, yeah, you know what though, I'm sure you can draw up something legal that says, okay, we'll let you out of the last year of your contract, but. You, we'll, we'll, but we're going to write up an agreement, and you're in breach of that agreement if you do A, B, or C. Well, they right, tried but that he expired, Le- though. But again, he, they, yeah, but like, yeah, they he tried expired, that with Le- Yeah, he expired. I'm saying a- Dean Ambrose is definitely, but they tried that with Lesnar and lost. Right. So maybe they wouldn't even have the balls to try something like that again because that obviously was, you know, a very famous decision that Lesnar won 
And he ended up naming, he, he renamed the F5 the verdict to rub it in their face that he beat them in court on that. So even from that perspective, you can't really, there's really nothing they can do, um, you know, to, to stop people other than get that handshake. That, like what you're saying, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Uh, you know, uh, the cons can push across a, you, you could even have full intent when you, when you, when you shake their hand on something like that. But then, you know, Tony Khan makes you an offer you can't refuse. You're not legally obligated or legally bound to not take you can right. still do whatever the you want thing that we always hear about where jericho would say oh you know yes. i'd always i'd always mention events if i was going to do a show and wherever and i'd always call him before and then tony khan said hey uh chris how about this and he goes hey all right cool like, i'm with Perfect you now example. i now love aw and i don't need to that anymore like yeah he would always say oh no i called even when i was gonna work the omega match i called vince and told him and he said oh go ahead and then you know he's always if i ever took a booking i'd call you first and then yeah then <laughs> and not only that, he 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 very publicly said he would never work yes. in America against Vince. And 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 look where we are now. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I'd be I'd be a little surprised if he never does it. So anyway. Absolutely. All right, let's let's get to a few other guys. Before we do that, I do want to let you know that this episode of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast is sponsored by our friends at ZipRecruiter. And Joe, you know more than anybody that hiring is challenging, but there is one place you can go where hiring is simple. It's fast and it is smart. It's a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. Their powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experiences and invites them to apply to your job. Uh, as applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective. Joe, listen to this. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers, 80% who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, voice wrestling listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive address, ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. One last time, ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Uh, all right, let's get to two other uh, interesting kind of stories that have come out uh, this week. Uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is this Leo Rush, this ongoing as we're as we're doing this podcast. Like this has become the Leo Rush week here. I, I never in a million years thought that so many, so much typing, so much phone act. I, just people are going nuts about this Leo Rush story. Uh, all different parts of this, but the one we really want to talk about was uh, uh, Fightful.com. Sean Rossap. A uh, friend of the site and friend of the, the podcast here at Fightful.com had a really, really good story about Leo Rush, uh, where Leo Rush actually was able to give his side uh, of the tale uh, because there's been a, a little bit of stuff. Now, Joe, you kind of know a little bit of the background. We haven't talked about it in the show uh, a bit, but there's been like a few weeks ago was that, hey, Leo Rush has heat backstage, which, you know, we, I think on Twitter just kind of said like, yeah, we're not really, you know, super surprised because Leo Rush is a guy who's who has a reputation for, for garnering some heat. Then we had a few weeks ago where like, I, or maybe even last week where like he didn't carry, what was the water situation? He was on a European tour he didn't like give people water and that got him extra heat or something like that and and now like the, the, every oh go ahead sorry no actually the story there is is it, it 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 seems as though the protocol is when you get called up from nxt when you go on your first overseas uh usually europe when you go on your first european tour if you uh, you know are an nxt call up uh what happens is when you when they go on these overseas tours they all stay in the same hotel Okay, and I guess they bus uh, from from venue to venue or whatever it is. So it's a little different than when you tour in United States and Canada because you're just renting cars and you're on your own. And 
you're on your own with the car rental, you're on your own with hotels. Mick Foley would famously get the cheapest hotels possible, all that. But in Europe, the company keeps everyone in the same hotel. They keep everybody on a bus. So what they do in these hotels is they have a common area in the hotel. So these people don't go crazy getting being locked in their rooms, a common area away from the public, secluded from the public where the wrestlers can just hang out and, 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 you know, and, 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 uh, and be around each other. And, you know, they have water and refreshments and whatnot. And part of the duties, if you are on your very first tour and you're a call up are that you got to bring these coolers of water off of the bus and into the hotel. It's just, uh, you know, something that they make the rookies do not unlike a lot of team sports, uh, that you see. And the other thing is another, uh, duty of the, uh, of the NXT call-ups on their first tours to wait and grill a position with bottles of water for the wrestlers, for the veteran wrestlers. When they return from the ring, Leo rush refused to do that. And he not only refused to do that, he went to management to complain about that, which this isn't a management thing, by the way, this is a, wrestler thing sort of their own unwritten rules among the wrestlers this isn't something that management dictates management really has nothing to do with that this is just something that the veteran wrestlers have done and passed on and uh and apparently this is just a thing and it's been a thing so anyway he had he got heat for that but we'll unpack all of this at the end go ahead all right so and now it's kind of led to like Every day, a new story is like Leo Rush. You know, yeah. <laughs> his wife was backstage in the dressing room, and Leo Rush, you know, threw a stink bomb. And the, you know, it's like every day now, is every second is new people talking about this. You know, the the, the evil dastardly Leo Rush. Leo Rush. But uh, I wanted to talk about uh, this the story from Fightful. I'm gonna just actually read it exactly, but you'll you'll definitely want to read it on your own. I, I did uh, just take a few parts out to make sure you read the entire story though. Fightful.com, uh, and it said during an extended Twitter thread, Leo Rush responded to rumors back, uh, of backstage heat and issues with coworkers. Over the past week, several stories have emerged detailing Rush's deteriorating reputation backstage. Uh, during that thread, he singled out Fightful, who reached out before and after the tweets. Uh, and he says, my issue has never been with Bobby Lashley. Uh, this is Leo telling Fightful directly. Uh, being with Bobby helped, has helped uh, the both of us out tremendously. It's given me confidence I didn't know I had. I never was a promo guy in the indies, but being with Bobby made me a promo guy. My issue isn't with my on-screen role. My issue is the fact that I haven't been on meet and greets with Bobby, haven't been getting paid for merchandise for us that my catch that has my catchphrase on them. I have been sent to live shows and TVs and forced to pay for my own rental for five days as well as hotel while not making enough money to do so. Walking around broke in the biggest sports entertainment industry that there is while having two kids and a wife to support. Uh, so then uh, they follow up here. A story from PW Insider has also been published this week stating that Rush refused to, quote, pay his dues, so to speak, for providing water to the veterans, as you mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, as is the case with many, uh, uh, you know, rookies our main roster rookies he says it's not about race and it never has been but public reception is important to me and when we have fans that travel all over the globe and watch us get off buses and into hotels the look of a black kid carrying water and bags for other wrestlers is just not a good look especially when i'm trying to uh, portray myself as a superstar as well uh the final one here he says as far as leo's disappointment with how wrestling media has covered the story he opened up about that and the way he'd like to see see things handled he said these sheets should spread positive messages to the world but they only want to spread false negative reports to damage someone else's career. What's wrong with spreading truth? Thank you for reaching out to me, and I appreciate you for doing it. I honestly do. I've never been about the BS or politics or anything else rather than showing up to work, doing my job, and providing for my family. I grew up in the worst parts of D.C., and certain things that I was taught will always stick with me and why I've gotten to where I am now in life. I realize that people will talk regardless of how much positivity you try to push out into the world. Uh, and then we also today found out our uh, PW insider was reporting that he was offered a five year, $300,000 deal. Uh, he turned that down. And he asked for double 
Uh, and they also note as well that he asked to be released if they were not going to meet that contract demand to prove what he could do outside of WWE. But uh, that one's been a little loose and kind of weird telephone. So I, I don't know if that's exactly the report as an initial the release. The release. Yeah, yeah. The, re- the release yeah. thing is weird. The, the contract thing we do have, the release thing has been kind of like weirdly. We're, we're not like 100%. Positive. As we're recording, it's just hitting feet. Yeah, exactly. So who knows where, where, where that's actually gone. But yeah. Look, there's a ton to unpack here with Leo Rush. I'm with him on a lot of it, and I'm against him on some of it as well. The water thing, just carry the water inside the hotel. Don't try to be a hard ass on something like that. Um, the, you know, I've heard people say that this is hazing. It's absolutely not hazing. No, listen. Randy Orton shitting in Amy Weber's bags. That's hazing. JBL taping people naked to the showers and sexually abusing them, which really happened, by the way. Uh, that's hazing. Um, you know, carrying coolers of water in off of the bus into the hotel because you are the new guy who just got called up. That's not hazing. So I don't like that people compare it to hazing. That's completely off base. This is basically behavior that's not all that different from what you see in team sports. Go to a baseball game. You see uh, pitchers going back and forth to the bullpen before and after the game. The rookie pitcher in the bullpen is carrying everybody's bags. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where it's not even meant to be demeaning. It's not about the water in this case. And it's not about the bags in the case of the, uh, you know, the baseball players. What it's about is just showing, oh, hey, look, I'm the new guy. I'm a team player. Um, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be part of this team. And on the next European tour, Adam Cole will be the one bringing my water in. And Adam Cole and uh, Kyle O'Reilly will be the ones handing me a water bottle when I come back from the curtain. It's not a big deal. I am not on his side on that. Okay. Uh, you know, it's like, I'm sure that Ricochet and Nikki Cross and Killian Dane or whoever, whoever else got called up with him, uh, you know, we're doing this with no issue because we had no reports that other than him uh, being the one who not only didn't do it, but then complained to management, which is a real bad look. I mean, to me, that's just, uh, just suck it up and carry the water in. I mean, geez, it's not that big a deal. Now, as far as the, um, you know, going broke on the road, paying for his own transportation and hotel rooms because they're not paying him enough, that's a disgrace. That is an absolute and utter disgrace. Okay, first of all, that they still have these people paying for their own transportation. What is happening here with your stupid $100 stock and your, and your stupid multi-million dollar deals from, from Saudi Arabia who are cutting people's heads off every week, every time you turn around, and your, your billion-dollar Fox deals and you still have these people paying for their rental cars and, and, their, and their lodging. Are you kidding me? Nobody in that company, okay, should be struggling to make ends meet going from one arena to the next. It's a disgrace. And I'm a thousand percent behind them on that one. And I'm a thousand percent. No one on that main roster with the money that this company makes, okay, should be struggling to pay. They shouldn't be paying for these things to begin with. And they shouldn't be struggling to pay for them. Pay these people, okay? Pay these people. And I might be jumping the page a little bit here. Because I know you want to talk about it a little more because you wrote an article, but there's no reason that Leo Rush should be doing cameos for twenty dollars. No one on that roster should need to do cameos for twenty dollars to make ends meet. It's a disgrace. It's disgraceful. And he has a, a his point is a million percent valid. And if he's not getting merch money from those T-shirts, that's a disgrace. If that's if, if they if they if only Bobby Lashley is getting the merch money from those T-shirts, that's bullshit. He should absolutely be getting merch money for those t-shirts. That's garbage. And he has every right to be upset about that. 
Okay? So I'm on his side with that stuff. Do I think he should carry the water in? Yeah. I don't think that's a big deal at all. And that's not unlike you, stuff that you see in, you know, in other sports. That happens in, in every locker room in America. That stuff happens. When I played football in high school, the freshmen carried the equipment in. When I played, bas- when I played baseball in high school, the freshmen carried the bats back to the lot. That, that's nothing new. And that's just something you do. That, that's hierarchy stuff, and it's not a big deal. I know everybody reads Karl Marx's Wikipedia page, and they constantly think they're fighting the man. But stuff like that's not a big deal. Calm down. It really isn't a big deal. Right. I mean, I see people, oh, well, don't do anything. You don't get paid for it. Give me a fucking break. Okay, there's things worth fighting for, and there's things that are just goodwill gestures towards your fellow employees, especially in the world of athletics, that you just suck them up and do them. It's not a big deal. Okay? It's, it really isn't. But this other stuff is utter bullshit. It's utter bullshit. Okay? Now, do I think if I were Leo Rush, would I have turned down a $1.5 million contract? Five years, three hundred thousand dollars, right? That was the deal. That he That's what they down. said. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Or was it five or was it three? I, I saw five some places too. But again, it's, it's been like this weird telephone. Let me let me see what the places that we actually trust <laughs> said about the deal. I thought they said five year, but let me let me confirm that. It's five so years. Fightful says five years. Yeah, five, yeah. For for round three hundred annual. Now, now, Fightful was saying they didn't know whether it was three hundred thousand dollars total, which would only come out sixty thousand dollars a year, or three hundred thousand dollars. Uh, per year. Mike Johnson, I saw, said uh, confirmed and said it was $300,000 per year. That means Leo Rush turned down a $1.5 million contract. I think he's nuts. Okay. Now, look, I understand that the Revival just turned down $500, uh, $2.5 million contracts, each of them, $500,000 a year. Um, and, and my stance was the same. I think those guys are nuts for turning that down. Okay. Because outside the company, you are not making $500,000 a year. Outside the company, you're not going to make $300,000 a year. Okay, we've heard about the AEW contracts being six-figure contracts. I don't think they're that high, not from what I've heard. And they're not going to be that high for Leo Rush. Right. I mean, maybe if you're like a top, top guy that's hustling every weekend and selling shit tons of shirts and, and has a YouTube channel, like maybe, maybe, maybe. Right. I mean, that's a lot of grinding. <laughs> and there's, yeah, especially for someone of Leo Rush's guy. Like, I don't know that even your top independent dude is, is bringing that in annually. I, listen, um, so I don't think he can make $300,000 outside the company per year. Um, that takes, but I'll say this, that takes a lot of balls to turn down $1.5 million. And it takes a lot of balls by, you know, Dash and Dawson to turn down $2.5 million. What that speaks to is what's going on behind the curtain in that company where people are willing to turn down that kind of money. Leo Rush is talking about having trouble making ends meet and he's having trouble paying for his rental cars and he still turned down $1.5 million. What does that tell you? And he asked for double. He asked for six hundred thousand a year. Maybe he caught wind that the revival got offered five hundred thousand, and you know maybe he caught wind that you know uh, you know there's rumors going around that there was a non TV talent that got that did sign a five hundred thousand dollar contract. We don't know the name yet, but that was floating around out there. So maybe he says, "Hey, why are they not offering me five or six hundred thousand dollars a year?" I can kind of see his perspective. At the same time, he has a lot of things working against him. Number one, he has mega heat on him. Okay, and, and look, it's obvious that he's not self-aware enough to recognize that that's a problem. Okay, so let's push that one aside. Number two, he's a mid-card manager. He's not even a wrestler on the main roster. He has that working against him. Number three, he's like five foot two. And I don't say that to disparage the guy. I just say it to look at history. 
And while smaller wrestlers do obviously stand a better chance now, he is an extremely small wrestler. So for them to offer him $1.5 million, look, I get, look, everything's a negotiation. I don't blame him for trying to negotiate a better deal than what they offered him. But to come back with, I want double, that takes a special set of balls. And to come back with, if the reports are true, and we don't know this to be true, just release me if you're not going to give me double. Man, listen, I don't agree with the decision, but I must say, this guy has some guts. Yeah, he's, he's got, got some conviction. He's got some he's conviction. Got some I don't conviction, know if it's a good idea, but... And he's got some guts, and he's got some big balls. And you know what? If he truly believes in himself to that extent, good for him. Because you're not going to find many people... Well, I guess I say that, but then we saw the Revival do the same thing. And, I, and, and for the record, I think they're nuts too. Okay, if I'm Dash Wilder, okay, and they slap a piece of paper in front of me and say, we want to give you $2.5 million, I signed it before they're done explaining it to me. Okay, because you're not making that outside WWE, unless we are all underestimating what AEW is paying people. And all of these wrestlers are cognizant of that through the grapevine, through putting out feelers, through their friends, through their buddies. And maybe we're all just talking out of ignorance. And you can make that kind of money outside of WWE. If that's the case, great. Because WWE can afford to pay that kind of money. They should be paying that kind of money. And if they were paying the same revenue splits that other pro sports leagues were paying, they'd easily be paying everybody that kind of money. And quite honestly, I think they all deserve it based on the money that's coming into the company. What's completely disgraceful, and here's the thing, the story that Leo Rush was struggling to make ends meet on the road, Rich, that didn't even surprise me. It surprised a lot of people, but you and I have heard stories like that going back for years. We can, we, there's anecdotes. Daniel yeah, yeah. Bryan, for years when he was you know, in ROH saying, I don't want to go to WWE right now because my friends there make less money than me as a, as a top independent wrestler. You know, and, and, and there's been other anecdotes throughout the years and into recent times. Tyler Rex, where- I remember that was a pretty famous one too back in, God, that was what, 2011, 12 or whatever when, when that thing was going down. But he had the similar complaint, like, I'm not making money here. I'm, if I'm paying for, for rental cars and hotels and food, I'm, I'm, I'm barely making ends meet to go to these shows to kill myself. What am I doing? It is a struggle for these lower mid-carders, and it shouldn't be anymore. Maybe in past years, you can make your, not now. It should not be a struggle for anyone on main roster TV. They should all be comfortable. They can afford to pay these people to the point where they're comfortable. In fact, why are we even limiting it to the main roster? They have enough money at this point to take care of the developmental people who are working the road in Florida. Now, they pay expenses for them because they're only paying those people $60,000 a year, between fifty dollars and $60,000 a year. And they're paying their expenses. And to live in Florida where it's tax-free, where the cost of living isn't very high, and you're making $60,000 and your company's paying your expenses, and you know and it, that, that's, a, that's a decent middle-class living. And if you have a second income, you're doing fine. But even those, this company can even afford to pay the developmental talent more than they do. I, I have a million percent sympathy for Leo Rush and all the other lower mid-carders and really everybody there who are still paying for their road expenses and who are struggling, which is just, it's rich. That is disturbing to me that there's people in that company, in that company that are struggling to make ends meet. It's ridiculous. And they're on television every week. 
Yeah, we've talked about it a lot in the show too. The, the the pay structure of that company is just so bizarre, and it's so weird how still you know to this day. And 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 I don't think we, we because they're not as transparent about the contracts. We still don't never you know exactly know how they're getting paid or where they're getting paid or whatnot. But every story that we hear is like it's still you know house show percentages and merch money or whatnot. And like for a while there, it wasn't even network anything with the network they weren't getting paid for. And I don't know if that's changed recently, but yeah, and and I don't even think they get a percentage of the TV deals right now either, which is just I mean that that cannot have you know by by september if these dudes are still out there you know working and getting house show percentages and not getting you know tv deal uh, percentages and 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 you know wb network percentages then i i don't know yeah it, it, it's so bizarre and it's so weird and it's so antiquated but the, the i've i've always like as long as i've lived i've never as long as i followed wrestling i've never understood they don't pay for hotels and don't pay for like rental cars and that's that like to me that boggles my mind i mean you you know how many companies could you possibly work for? Where, where, like, even you know, even my company, which is you know, like, it's small potatoes compared to WWE. Very, you know, a micro, a microscopic part of, of of the business that is WWE would pay for my fucking rental car if I did a business trip for them. It's, you it's know what I mean? Written. Like, it's, it's, and they're a traveling carried. circus. They're a traveling circus. They want you to travel, but they want you to pay. It's just they'll pay for your flight, but that uh, they'll get you to like you know, Corpus Christi, and then it's up to you to get to everywhere else, you know, in that area, yeah. which is just like, what? It's so bizarre. Yeah, they'll, they'll fly to Texas, but then you got to drive around Texas for a week Yeah, and find, find your own way and get your own room. And it come, it, it all goes back to the days of the territories and it just trickled down from there. And, you know, you could argue that back in the 60s or 70s, when you truly were an independent contractor and you were just working that ter- particular territory, um, you know, and the promoter wasn't paying for that stuff, and you could just give notice at any time and 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 leave and go to the next territory. But the fact that they're paying for air travel tells you that they recognize that it's ridiculous that they're not just go all the way and pay for the rest of it. You know, at this point, it's just ridiculous in this day and age with the money that they're making now that they're not paying for that stuff. It's absolutely asinine, and I feel for him. I feel very bad for him. And I feel bad for everybody else who, uh, on the and again, it didn't surprise me because we've been hearing. I, what surprised me is how much it surprised other people. And maybe people do need to be made aware and be annoyed by the fact that they are putting people on their television and making literally billions of dollars off of these people, and you know they have to scrim and scrape just to get to the next arena. To, they're paying to go to work, Rich. Someone in his position is paying to go to work. It's it's outrageous. So um, I'm I'm a thousand percent with him on that stuff. Um, and the merch money too, which is nonsense. If it's a catchphrase he's using on TV and they're selling t-shirts, he needs to get a piece of that money. It's bullshit. Yeah, I, I don't know what the end insight is for, for these guys. I don't know well, when the, the big reckoning is going to come. Leo, but... well, Leo Rush is getting fired. I mean, oh, for sure. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leo Rush is going to be working bola this year. Leo Rush is going to be, you know, uh, Leo Rush is going to be uh, popping up on WrestleMania weekend. He's not long for this. Right. Well, maybe he figured out the He's secret sauce. Bola. You know, the revival haven't quite figured it out. Luke Harper hasn't quite figured it out. These other guys haven't quite figured it out that you can't be nice to him. You just got to go scorched earth if you want to get out of there. So, um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you know what? They might be so vindictive that they'll just pull them off TV and keep them under contract. But I mean, if, if, if you know, first of all, there's so many no nos here. Number one, he has mega heat. And let's be fair here Leo Rush has a reputation oh, for, sure. for picking up heat wherever right, he right. goes. I mean, we, ha- we have to be fair here. I think, again, I think, look, it doesn't have to be black and white. I mean, some of these things, I think he has a, I am a million percent with him. Other areas here, 
this fits his reputation. I mean, the one anecdote that we've talked about before on this show is, you know, a few years ago, he asked an indie promoter for um, a copy of one of his matches. He worked for that promoter um, under the guise that he wanted it for like personal use, film study, whatever the fuck. The promoter told him, look, I'm still selling these DVDs. I'll give you the match. Just promise me you don't post it publicly. Rush promised him. It's not, I, I promise you, it's just for me. I want to watch the match. That's not even unheard of in indie wrestling. A lot of indie wrestlers do that. The guy gives him the match and he puts it on his YouTube channel the same day. And it's like, the dude's like, what the fuck, man? I, you know, we discussed this. And basically, he's blew him off. Like, th- th- this guy posted the text messages publicly to show that this man, Leo Rush, promised not to do this. And he went back on that promise immediately and posted the match on his YouTube. And his explanation was basically shoulder shrug. I, I don't know what to tell you. Too bad. I felt like posting it. So it's like that got him an enormous amount of heat, uh, obviously with that promoter who never booked him again. And with a, a whole circle of promoters in, in that guy's area, I don't exactly remember what promotion it was, um, which is why I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, I don't recall. I don't recall I either. Don't I tried to do a little bit of a, a, a research and I couldn't find it exactly, but that, that is the truth. Yeah. I remember that well, but yeah, it's, it's, I'm not fine. That's just story. one anecdote. And right. we've heard others privately that aren't out there publicly. The guy is a heat magnet. And he always has been. For whatever reason, he rubs people the wrong way. Well, that reason was obvious because he really fucked that guy over. And there's really no excuse for what he did to that promoter. Uh, none whatsoever. Um, he didn't even attempt to make one. He just... The- the thing that I've always heard with him is that he's a guy very self-confident, very, you know, obviously, you know, believes in himself a lot and and doesn't quite fit. The, the thing that I've heard from, from guys, from wrestlers, from promoters and whatnot is just that, like, he kind of does his own thing and doesn't kind of fit in the pro wrestler thing. You, you know, there's always like the water thing. That's just something that's so, so trivial, but it's just like, yeah, it's a pro wrestler thing, man. Or like the handshakes, you know, the, the go in the locker room and just shake everyone's yeah. hand. Like, yeah, it's stupid. I get it. It's dumb, but it's just what people do. And if you don't do that stuff, you just get, and, and it's like, you got to pick your battles, man. You know what I mean? Like, and that, and that's sort of exactly. the thing I've heard with him exactly. is that he just tries to battle everything. It's like, dude, just do it. Uh, you know, like I get it. Yeah. Th- maybe you can fight this and okay. Maybe that's not right, but just thumbs, just do, just shake the 20 dudes hands and get out of there. You, you know, like it's not hard. Just, just do it. And like, I'm not saying that he specifically is one of those guys. It's just like little things that like, Hey, you know what? Just grab a box as we're kind of getting out of the arena. Just, just little stuff like that, that it's just that he, for whatever reason, and it's not, I don't know if it's him being vindictive or him being mean or whatever, or him just being aloof or whatever it is. It's just like he doesn't kind of fit into it and just kind of leads him to be sort of this, this, you know, kind of different figure that, that, that gets heat, you know, and there's, there's, there's literally a thousand different ways you can get heat in pro wrestling. And, and he just, for whatever reason, would find a way to kind of get one of them. And he's, he's not alone. There's many guys that have done that. Many guys have shed that reputation. He apparently, you know, still has not. So I think he's a death by a million cuts guy. It's like Meltzer said in the Observer this week. It's not one big thing with him. Why? Right, he has right, it. and that's what I've been heard, heard from people too. It's not like, oh, he did this, and man, we're over it. It's just like, nah, it's man, a come on, like, yeah, like, like the thing with his wife and his friends coming backstage. It's like he's. It, it's it's not unheard of for wrestlers to do that, but, but they get them credentials first, and he was bypassing the credential process and just inviting people into the back. And that would be one thing if they're just hanging around catering, but he had them at rehearsals. And that's kind of like where the other wrestlers were like, hey, man, now I'm working. Now this is my job. And we've got hangers on hanging around when we're trying to figure out what we're doing on live TV in an hour from now. And that kind of rubbed people the wrong way. And that was the story where they said Finn Balor pulled him aside 
you know, and said, Hey man, look, you know, you might, I'll, I might not necessarily care, but Vince might catch wind of this and, and, and be, you know, and he blew him off. And it's like, you know, don't blow him off, you know? And, and then the story just broke that, you know, Mark Henry had a story of trying to give Leo Rush advice and Leo Rush blew his advice off. Mark Henry. Right. It's just like, dude, just listen to Mark Henry for 20 minutes. Yeah, Just listen to whatever he's got to say. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. I get it. Thank you for Thank you, Mark. That's, that's great advice. Shake his hand and walk away. You don't have to take his advice. You don't have to do anything, but Jesus Christ, listen to the guy for 20 minutes and shake his hand on the way out. Like it's, that's one of those little things. It's like, why are you fighting that fight, man? Just listen. Well, not only that, it's, it's rich. People are trying to help him. Right. You know, and, and who's more universally respected in that company than Mark Henry? You know, you, you can't come up with many names. You know, he's right. He's been there forever. Everybody loves him. We talk about it all the time. You know, and Mark Henry's a guy who's helped get people into the company. In fact, didn't he help get Leo Rush into the company? I don't recall if, if he did exactly, but. He may have. I don't remember. But, but it's like, you know, if Mark Henry is giving you advice, you know, it might be worth it to at least listen to it and take it under advisement, you know, and now we have, st- and if Mark Henry is going public with the idea that Leo Rush blew him off, that's the other thing. How many people aren't going public? It's, 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 look, this guy's definitely not long for the company. I, I, you know, he's broken so many, just talking to the media, you you don't do that. They don't let anybody talk to the media. Yeah. That, that probably more than anything of just kind of being like, Hey, here's, you know, here, <laughs> Hey, fightful. Here's, you know, and, here are my thoughts. Like that's not going to go well. And now his salary offer is now out there, you know, and, and, and obviously the outlet fightful that broke the salary offer story was the same outlet that he spoke to on record. So they know that he told Sean Ross Sapp the, the salary rejection. I mean, those dots aren't hard to connect and they're not happy about that. At least with the revival thing, you know, people don't know how that got out. It's not as obvious, even though obviously Dash or Dawson were the ones to leak it somehow. They can't connect those dots the way they can connect these Leo Rush dots. He's just self-sabotaging and you might be right. Who knows? Maybe he's doing it on purpose. Maybe he's had enough of, you know, hitting the ATM just so he can sleep in a Motel 6 on his way to Tuscaloosa, uh, you know, every night, maybe he's tired of that shit. And maybe he, you know, uh, you know, realizes that, um, that he does have all this heat. Maybe this is his way of, of escaping. I mean, we just heard stories this week of guys contemplating failing the wellness on purpose to get out. So, so who knows, but, um, it, it, it definitely a bizarre story does shed some light though. I'm glad this is shedding some light on the idea that just because these guys are on TV, they're not all making money hand over fist and a right. lot of them are struggling. And that's absolute utter fucking nonsense that that's the case. Yeah. I was surprised at how many people did not know the, you know, pay for your trans thing, which I, I thought was just kind of common knowledge to a lot of people, but, but it's one of those things that when you're in the bubble, you know, you kind of get used to it, but maybe those outside the bubble just can't comprehend or, or those that don't really follow it. Are, what the hell? What <laughs> you pay for your own hotel? Like that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And it doesn't, it's, it, it is very bizarre for sure. Uh, let's get to this Luke Harper story as well. This, uh, this week's wrestling observer from Dave Meltzer, uh, had an interesting little paragraph about Luke Harper. So this is, I'm going to read exactly from Dave's words here. He says the update on Harper is that Vince McMahon in writing told him he wouldn't release him. So you remember a few weeks ago, Luke Harper asked for his release. Uh, we talked about it and then it was not granted that the news came out that it was not granted. This is kind of a follow-up to that. Uh, he was earmarked 
start to work a program with Zane after Mania, but the decision was made not to do it. One person close to the situation told us that he needs to get out because they made a call that they were not going to use him after Vince saw him in his return. Uh, Vince said that he didn't, quote, get him and complained that he couldn't even do a Southern accent. This was from a few uh, years ago of them wanting him to do a Southern accent when he initially came in with the uh, uh, the Wyatt family. Uh, he was regularly pitching ideas. Harper was really pitching ideas when he was out with an injury and they turned down every pitch. He wasn't booked anywhere after being cleared, but fan access and then Vince McMahon out of the blue wanted to know why he wasn't in the Battle Royal. So that's why he was put in last minute. Apparently, the end was such a mess as Strowman forgot his spots, which is one of the reasons Strowman hasn't done much since winning. Uh, Harper was also booked to start the Zane program the day after Mania, but was then told after Mania he wasn't needed for TV, so he went home, uh, but then was called to come back on Tuesday for a match as the EC3. He was basically used as the opponent to test out EC3 and Maverick as a pairing uh, wrestler manager. Uh, the agent set up a bunch of manager spots in the match. Vince then watched it and said he hated the manager spots. Uh, the creative meeting the day of the draft when it was asked which brand Harper would be on, Vince said how the guy came can't even do a southern accent said the matches ec3 was bad so they didn't put him with either brand and that's when he asked for his release so that's where luke harper's at he wants to go they don't want him to go but they also don't want to use him okay again lots unpacked with this too let's put aside vince's opinion of luke harper he obviously doesn't like him very much clearly okay that's vince's opinion you can't really argue it no, his, I mean, he runs a company. If he doesn't like a guy, he doesn't like a guy. Whatever. Yeah. Um, I think his reasons are kind of silly. I think if he's holding on to this Southern accent thing, I mean, you know, that that's a little silly. I think it's, I don't know why you're blaming him because you didn't like the manager spots uh, that were laid out in this tryout match of sorts for the Drake Maverick EC3 team. I mean, basically Harper was just the, the opponent. I mean, what does he have to do with, I mean, really, what did Drake Maverick and EC3 have to do? It was just however this was laid out and whatever they tried here, Vince didn't like. I don't know why he's holding that against Harper. But it's like, okay, if he doesn't like the guy, that's fine. But then the guy has picked up on that, that they don't like him very much because they've turned down all of his pitches. They don't even bother putting him on a brand. They've done absolutely nothing with him. And he keeps hearing that Vince doesn't like him. So he does the logical thing and says, okay, well, then maybe I should quit. Maybe I don't belong here. And that's all well and good. And he wrote that impassioned letter before WrestleMania weekend, which shows that he wants to do well. And then a few days later, after all of this went down, he wrote a very uh, politely worded resignation letter that he, that he put out publicly. Then why don't they just let him go? You know, it, it, that, that's the part that doesn't add up. Now, we know the answer. Because in this climate, they don't want to let anybody go. Um, but it's like you have no use for him. You don't like his work. Yet, just out of, I, I have to say it's spite. Why else? Which is why this Leo Rush thing, maybe we're off base and he won't get fired. But I think with Rush, he's out there spouting off to, to the media, which they don't like. And the, the other difference with Rush is he's pissing off all of his coworkers. Luke Harper hasn't pissed anybody off. Just Vince McMahon doesn't like him very much. Doesn't like his work very much. He might like him personally for all I know, but he doesn't like his work very much. This is just bizarre that not only would they hold this man essentially hostage, even though they don't want to do anything with him, but it's in writing telling him he won't be released directly from Vince McMahon himself. This is just bizarre. And again, it speaks to what is a very fucked up culture going on behind the curtain 
in this company. Um, Rich, why don't they just let this man go? I don't know. Yeah, and again, like I, <laughs> the idea, and 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 again, it's Luke Harper, who, who I like. I think Luke Harper is a great wrestler. I have always yeah. been entertained by Luke Harper. I think wherever he would go, wherever that next step would be, he would do well in it. But this is not a game changer guy. You, you know what I mean? Like it, maybe, maybe he would be. Maybe you know we thought the same thing about Cody, and then he ended up being that. I am fairly confident that that whatever, if you let Luke Harper go and he went to AEW, that he is not the life and death of them getting a TV deal. He's not the life and death of that company being successful or not. It's just like a guy, and and for whatever reason, they just there's this weird thing about letting people go, and they're just so worried about that guy going somewhere and doing something and being successful that they just. They hold these things hostage. And somebody asked me this on, on, the, on a Patreon Q&A. They said, you know, if all these things were happening, what would you do about these people that asked for the release? And my answer was, let them go. It's such a worse culture. It's such a worse idea if you say, no, you have to stay here. No, you're not allowed to go. Because all that does is, A, it makes that person miserable. It makes everybody else around them miserable. And it basically confirms that once their contract's up, they're going to say, fuck off and never come back. You, you know what I mean? Like, they now you've completely sullied the waters where if I think, if Luke Harper said, hey, Vince, can I get my release? And Vince said, you know what, Luke, I don't really have anything for you right now. Go ahead, knock yourself out. But if you want to come back anytime, the door is always open. Isn't that a way better way to approach it than, nah, we're going to add some injury time to you too. So just sit on the sidelines and don't do anything. Fuck off. No, we're not releasing you. Like, I, especially I when it's on record that, especially when it's on record that Vince said he doesn't get him. Right. It's just, to me, I cannot fathom why you would want that culture over, over the one I mentioned where you just, where a guy goes in the office and he's not a life and death guy. I get it. If, 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 if Roman Reigns walks in your office and says, Hey, I want my release. I'm going to AEW. I get how Vince would be like, well, okay, hold on. <laughs> let's, let's talk this over. Let's figure. But like, and, and that's nothing to spite Luke Harper. This is nothing against Luke Harper. I, 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 you know, I preface by saying, I think he's, he's a very good wrestler, but I don't think that he's life and death. And I don't think that WWE thinks he's life and death. And I don't think AEW or whoever thinks that Luke Harper is the make or break of their company so why can't you just say you know what yeah go ahead and if you do want to come back we'll be here for you and then maybe luke harper goes to AEW and finds out the grass isn't always greener and then he ends up back with you anyway it's just like to me the culture is so much better if you just if these guys ask for the releases and you just say yeah that's fine i don't want a bunch of miserable people working for me i don't think that's a good culture i want people that want to be there i want people that want this opportunity and and, and think it's it's a privilege to work for my company and they want to work for my company versus a bunch of miserable people playing out the strings like i can't fathom why you would want the one over the other but they do, I, and, and we've seen it a bunch over these last few weeks and in these last few months. I, I I cannot fathom why they would want that instead. It's it's it, it, it just boggles my mind. The only thing I could ascertain here is it's they is they want to set a precedent. You can't just walk into the office and quit if you decide you don't want to be here anymore. And if we let Luke Harper go, then that tells the rest of the locker room that they can just walk into my office and say they want to go. So damn it, I don't care that it's just Luke Harper. I don't care that it's a guy I don't get. I don't care that it's a guy that I, we, that I have so little regard for that I'm not even going to put him on a brand. I'm just setting the tone and I'm setting, I'm, I'm not going to allow him to set a precedent that you can just ask out of your contract. He is going to fulfill that contract. I'm going to make him come to TV every week and hang around catering. I'm going to, you know, uh, just, you know, uh, have him make his downside and everyone else is going to see that and they're going to see the example I'm setting similar to the Pac thing where they let him sit home and presumably make no money since he went home on his own. So I'm sure they weren't paying him. Uh, you know, and I'm sure they weren't obligated to pay him because he basically walked out on the job. What was it? Nine months that he was gone? <sighs> that they let him stay on ice or something? Yeah, something. I forget the exact 
time, but yeah, somewhere close to yeah. a year that, that he was allowed that they just allowed him to be on ice. And again, I think that's what this is too. I think they're just establishing a precedent. You cannot just walk out in the middle of your deal. We're not going to do it. We're not going to allow people to do it. They let a Tommy do it. Um, he's really, you know, the only one, right? I mean, I can't because look uh, at all what, these where's the Dillinger thing? Where's that at right now? I think he, he did. He actually get his release. Uh, Ty Dillinger. I, th- I, I thought he did, he, but I don't remember if he did or not. I don't remember if he was a contract coming up or if he was a release. They said, okay. So here from their.com, they said released on February 22nd. Okay. Yeah, he was so he, so Dillinger got one and a Tommy got one. Um, they refused the revival. They refused Luke Harper. Um, depending on what version of the stories you believe, Sasha Banks is still up in the air. So it seems to be a, a Leo Rush. We don't know what's going on with him. So it seems to be a case by case basis. Um, who else? Oh, uh, well, TJP. Mike, TJP. Well, he was cut. He, well, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. He did it. Well, did he ask? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't forget how that one exactly. He's just weird too. Out. Yeah. I thought of it. Mikey Nichols. They let him go. Yeah. But now you're talking about a developmental guy, so that might change things a little. They might not just see any value in people who haven't been on main roster TV. So I don't know if I want to count him, but he told, he told them he had family stuff to take care of. I think he just had a baby. I think what was the story there and they let him go. Um, but again, they just might not value developmental people. Stacy Irvin just quit. Um, I mean, look, it also might come down to, you know, people can just go home. I mean, you can't, you know, physically keep people under your employ so maybe just that has something to do with it where look i don't i don't know i don't understand they have no use for him you admit you don't get him and is it and now let's talk about the oddities of vince mcmahon who cares that this guy can't do a southern accent why are you still holding on to that all right so that idea you had for him went on the wayside because you didn't like his southern accent years ago do something different with him now you know it's just and 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 you think this guy'd be right up vince's alley He's like six foot six. You can bill him at six foot ten. You know, he's a big hoss. He's a bruiser. His work is good. It's crisp. It's, it's, it, you know, it looks good. I, so I don't even understand why Vince doesn't get the guy. What is there not to get? He's awesome. But I guess that's not neither here nor there. Yeah. But, if he doesn't get, like we said at the top, if he doesn't get him, he doesn't get him. But like to, this hostage situation thing is just bizarre and and i guess depending on but again i i would love to see the detail like the real details of this contract and 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 what entails a contract for an independent contractor you, you know what i mean like it's it, the whole thing is weird and i and, and i guess we're getting it's getting more to light in these last and, and maybe we'll find out more maybe we'll learn more maybe someone will bring their contract one of these days to one of these guys to try to uh make it known i i don't know but I, we're, we're in a weird reckoning period right now where, where i think things are going to get a little bit more transparent a little more louder uh for these next few weeks and months or whatever so uh i'm fascinated to see it because yeah, i would love to see kind of the details of a contract and see you know what 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 a real wwe contract entails and what what sort of the responsibilities of a well, wrestler is and 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 you know can they hold you hot like yeah it's, it's just it's 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 strange and i'd like to learn a little bit more about it which revival guy was injured because they tacked two months on to his deal. Right. Um, I forget. <laughs> so they, I think it was Dawson. So they, You're right, yeah. they, they turned down the five year, $2.5 million contract, which dude, <laughs> like you, you know, you mentioned it on Twitter, Joe, you could shave my back every fucking week. Uh, on raw on for t- 2.5 yeah. million dollars man you can you can shave my pubes on raw for 2.5 i don't get pay me 2.5 million dollars and we're good like we, you can do whatever you want with me 
That so is again, not a problem. Dash Wilder was the one who got the two months. Okay. Uh, yeah. So they turned that down and then they tacked two months onto that guy's current <laughs> deal, which doesn't expire for another year. And now they're embarrassing them and, and you know, booking them in embarrassing ways on TV to kind of stick it to them on top of it. I don't even think it's a matter of, well, we don't want to let people go who we think AEW desires. Clearly, AEW wants the revival. They've already shot it. They basically yeah, are the angles already there. <laughs> with the young bucks, yeah. I mean, they've been they've been they've been they've been uh, you know basically doing a storyline on Twitter with each other. And Luke Harper obviously has connections through Chris Harrington. You know, I don't know if Chris Harrington has the kind of stroke to get one of his buddies into the company, but they came up in wrestling together, and and I don't think it's a big secret that they know each other, and it's like and that they're friends. But I mean, and look, why wouldn't you want to have Luke Harper on your roster anyway? I mean, if you're so I so you can come in from, from that angle. Okay, maybe they know these guys are going to AEW and they know it would be a bad look. Same thing with Sasha Banks. So we're not gonna allow that to happen. But then on the other side, you have Ty Dillinger, where it's very obvious he's gonna end up in AEW because he's tight with Cody. So you can't even there's not even any consistency there in terms of okay, we're just going to hoard the people who we're afraid are going to jump to the competition. And the other people, we don't, okay, they can go, but we just don't want the perception of people jumping to AEW. Well, that there's no consistency there either. So I don't know what goes through their minds on these things. Um, you know, as far as value, look, the Revival and Luke Harper and people like this, and, and you know, they don't hold any, they're not difference makers in WWE. And that's what I mean. It, yeah, it's like, come on. It, it's, you know, and and you, Sasha Banks definitely is. That's a whole different case. And Leo Rush isn't at this point. You know, if they if they keep Leo Rush around after all this, it's not because they think he's any kind of a difference maker. They've done nothing with him to show us that they think he's a difference maker. He's he's been on two hundred five live, and he's a mid card manager who basically is there to take to take bumps and show ass for Bobby Lashley, so Bobby Lashley doesn't have to do it. You know, it, it's, it's, he's not all that unlike, you know, Bobby Heenan getting beat up by Hulk Hogan after a match. I mean, that's what Leo Rush does. He gets beat up by Finn Balor after the match. I mean, that's his role right now. It's not a vital role, which is why they're easily able to yank him off TV. Right. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, this is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's every, every week seemingly there's another person in that company who is publicly, very publicly uh, disgruntled. And 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 wants out of there, so um, that 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 alone is not a good look. Maybe it's because Harper put out that he asked for his release before it was official, and that annoyed them. But I'm pretty sure Ty Dillinger did that too. So I, I don't know. There, if you're looking for patterns, there are none. Yeah, patterns or logic, you're you're not going to find it in these stories. So it's that's it's bizarre. But yeah, those are. Uh... Those are the stories today. Uh, Leo Rush and Luke Harper, as we said, yeah, every single week, uh, seemingly a new one here. But uh, all right, so we got uh, we got some shows to talk about, Joe. Anyone in particular? We got the Impact. We got the Crockett Cup. We got uh, New Japan, All Japan. Any ones that you want to uh, touch on first? I'll let you have the uh, the floor and pick which one we want to go to next. I think the uh, All Japan Champion Carnival. Let's do it. Uh, deserves to go next. That is uh, one of the most prestigious tournaments in in wrestling has been for many decades and that wrapped up this week kento miyahara who is the current triple crown champion uh also won his first triple crown he mm-hmm. uh or his first champion carnival first champion uh, carnival. yeah first champion carnival which 
you know, surprised me. And I thought about it and I was like, yeah, he, he never has won the race. He's got four triple crowns at this point and he's clearly the company ace. And he is really the only uh, money drawing star that they have. But the, the purpose of the way this tournament was booked is they're trying to very clearly create two others. And we've talked about them before, and that's Naoa Nomura and Jake Lee. And I have to tell you, I think that this tournament was booked tremendously. I have no problem with Kento Miyahara winning the Champion Carnival as champion. Um, I think that he is peaking right now uh, as, as a worker. I think he is arguably the best wrestler in the world. I've said for a number of weeks on this show that he is my early leading candidate for wrestler of the year. I think that this tournament has only put him in a stronger position for those kind of accolades because he had a tremendous tournament. He was the best person in the tournament. And and of course, he won it. So he was in all the high-profile spots as well. But he's just peaking right now as a performer. He's never been better than he is right this second. And he's just putting it all together. His, his, his confidence, his charisma, his bell-to-bell. And, but what All Japan really needs is for um, a couple of more of these young wrestlers to emerge and become money-drawing stars. They desperately need that because for all the praise that we can give Kento Miyahara and how great he is and how he's helped All Japan come up out of the complete doldrums and being one foot you know, in the grave to where they're at least sustainable, Bottom line is this. They're still running their champion carnival final in Cork and Hall. They're still running the majority of their um, carnival shows in, in hotel conference rooms with 200 fans. And, you know, we can, and they're still running, you know, a lot of their big shows in that shitty Yokohama, you know, gym that, that, you know, Noah runs and they run that, that where the fans stink and the acoustics are bad and it you know, it holds 2,200 people or whatever it is. So, you know, you kind of have to pump the brakes on the idea that all Japan is thriving. It, it, it's kind of misleading when you see how great Miyahara is, but then, you know, you know, they're running Cork and Hall for their, for some of their biggest shows. And they're, they're putting 1200 people into Cork and Hall for, you know, a block final, which again is not great. So they desperately need Nomura and Lee to happen. And I think that the way this tournament was booked and the way that Nomura and Lee performed, they're doing everything they can to help make that happen. And I don't think Miyahara winning the tournament was a bad decision at all. And I don't think it stood in the way of Nomura or Lee because I think they accomplished what they needed to accomplish in that. I think Nomura and Lee, based on the way they were booked and based on the way they performed in this tournament, I think the fans do see them at a slightly different level now. I watched this tournament and I watched the Cork and Hall stuff, the block finals and the final today, right before we recorded. And I am feeling different about Nomura and Lee. Where do you stand on the booking and everything I just had to say? Yeah, so the booking of the tournament has been, and, and I should mention as well that we had uh, 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 Gerard, Thomas, and Paul reviewed every single one of these shows for VoicesOfWrestling.com. So if you want to catch Killed up, it. and yeah, they did an awesome job with it. So if you want to, every single morning, boom, it was right there, like ready to go, uh, watching this that happened or watching within a few hours. I mean, they they told me, hey, we're going to review some of the champion carnivals. And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And then they were just like, hey, let's just do them all. I'm like, all right, whatever. And and I thought they'd kind of burn out by you know night five or whatever, which is totally justifiable, man. They did every single night. And this tournament is as much 
much of a grind as the G1. People don't give it enough credit uh, for how much of a grind it is. Sometimes even more. You know, the new G1 oh, format. Hey, oh, God. Yeah, it is gonna... way more of a it's way more of a grind because most of it stinks. Because you have Sam Adonis, and Yoshi it's, Tatsu, man. Most of this tournament, we'll, we'll get into that. But most of this tournament, right. it fucking sucks. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of great. This is a, the, the Champion Carnival. The last two years, especially, has been, you know, a dozen or so matches that peak super fucking high that are great and are awesome and will blow you away, and then the rest of it is depressing and sucks. In front of dead crowds, shitty matches, no life, no energy, wrestlers that clearly couldn't care less because they're wrestling in front of 200 people in you know uh, a conference room at a Hilton uh, and, and who aren't responding to anything. So I don't blame them for not working hard. Subpar wrestlers. But when it peaks, like the first night in Cork and all, first night of the tour, which was fucking incredible, one of the best shows this year. And then, you know, the matches down the stretch of the tournament that helped determine who was going to win it. I mean, I have 14 matches in this tournament at four stars or better. But here's the thing, Rich. Those are like the only 14 matches worth watching. And, and, and that's why the Champion Carnival is way more of a grind than the G1. At least with the G1, you're getting at least one or two great matches every night. It's very rare you get a G1 show that's a dud. You get one or two a year. Is that fair to say? One or two a year. That yeah, yeah, night. and it's like a story. It's like, oh god, that night seven. God, what a uh, you know. And and you usually can point out that night, like when we look at the schedules, because it's like, oh, dude, it's like the main events, like Tomatonga and Bad Luck Fale, and then like the undercard. You know what I mean? Like you can, yeah. you pretty much can sense what that night's going to be. And there, sometimes you get a surprise night where just nobody clicks and it doesn't quite work, and the crowd kind of stinks. But yeah, it's a story when it happens, and it's one or two nights max in most G ones. So 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 just to, I mean, our three reviewers to review some of these slogs of, I mean. Nights two through seven were some of the worst shows you'll watch this year. And so it, it is a definite slog and a definite grind. And those guys just fucking killed it. They had those reviews ready for us first thing in the morning, every morning. So tremendous job by those guys. So just want to point that out. Yeah. Voice wrestling.com. If you want to catch up and uh, I'd read the reviews, but as far as the booking, no, I, I, I loved it. I mean, cause I think you look at that B block and we talked about it when we were kind of previewing the champion carnival is that you had those two guys, Namora and, and, and Lee, who are kind of your up and comers, the guys you want to build, but you had some heavy hitters in there too. You had Sawama, you had Doring, you even had, you know, a Yoshitatsu who, who, who gets pushed to an extent in that block, but they decided to have Namora and Lee, you know, have 10 points each. And, and I thought that was kind of cool that they really were head and shoulders above that. It wasn't like, you know, Lee and Suama were tied or, or you know, Lee and, and Doring or, or Namora and, and whoever. It was like those two dudes. And you kind of said in this B block, these two guys are the guy. And and, and I think those numbers, that 10, it, it really stands out to me because on the A block, you have Kento Miyahara as the only guy with 10. And he was the eventual winner and he's the triple crown winner and all that sort of stuff. And then those two dudes have 10. And I think that that score and, and that number and where they're placed on that block is just, I, I, I think it, it is a very it's an obvious sign of like no these guys are people that we think important and we and we know that they they've been thinking that these guys are important we know that they want these two dudes to be stars and they need i think you have always said they need these guys to be stars a uh, jake lee they need <laughs> to him to click they absolutely have to have jake lee click uh, or else you know the, the, their business is kento miyahara and then that's it pretty much for, for, for a while and and namor is a guy who's kind of risen a little bit in, in, in the last year or so and it's cool to see him in that spot too so it wasn't just jake lee sort of rising among the the ashes and getting to the final and then unfortunately you know losing in, in, in a really really good match which we'll talk about here in a bit but namora as well was able to kind of have those big spots and have those big wins throughout the tournament so so i think they did a great job with that and i think they did a great job on the a block too uh making everybody pretty close but establishing that kento miyahara is just he's just the man right now you, you know what i mean he's a triple crown champ 
champion. Now he's got his champion carnival, and now everyone's kind of chasing him and, and, and trying to go after him. Because I think All Japan is at its best, you know, in recent years when that's sort of been the style is Kento's, you know, at the top, and everyone's trying to kind of get to him. But but I think the booking wise, uh, even on the A block was pretty good too, because everyone was close. You know, your Zeus's are at your eights, your Ishikawa's at nine, Okabayashi's at nine, Dylan James at nine. But th- there's a hierarchy there where Kento's just a little step above those guys, and and you know the obvious winner of that A block. So so I liked, yeah, I think the booking was smart. I just think with Jake Lee facing Kento in the final, and they had a great match. And I think I've been saying I've been down on Jake Lee, but he won me back in the final. Everything I wanted to see out of Jake Lee this year that I wasn't seeing at all, I saw in the final. So he won me back in the final. But not just that, but having Lee and Nomura go to the playoff match. Because what that did was put a focus on those two yes. guys. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they faced each other night one and had a great match. And then they got focus, attention, in Cork and Hall in an impromptu main event. And we all blew it on this. Thomas Fishbeck pointed this out. That's one of our three reviewers. Okay. Everyone was like, um, why are they having a playoff? You know, they're not doing the tiebreakers anymore. Turns out we all whiffed on that. All Japan never does the tiebreaker. He went back and checked. And it turns out that every time there's been a tie at the top of a block, they've done a tiebreaker match going back to like 1995 or something. So, um, yeah, I see this one. I'm, I'm kind of scrolling right now. 2015, uh, Goshi Ozaki and Suwama were both at seven, and they had a uh, block A decision match leading to the, the final there. So, yeah, so it, all Japan didn't just change their rules. It's just, I think they don't, they don't do that. And I think we all just forgot or didn't realize. It's been a few years. Yeah, 14 did it too. They had two uh, decision matches. You had Suwama and Amori, and then Doring and Akiyama both had decision matches. So it's just been like, you know, four or five years. So I guess we sort of. We lulled ourselves into thinking it's like the G1 or whatnot, and it's not. They do decision matches, which I, I like. I, I kind of like that idea more so than tiebreakers. But yeah, it's a it, the tiebreaker thing is a new Japan thing, and and all Japan does ties so infrequently that I think we all just whiffed on that. But uh, you know, but but to focus them uh, to having a decision match and the way that was booked too, it was like you didn't have to make either guy look bad because the story of the decision match was Jake Lee wrestled earlier in the night and he was fresh. And uh, he had an easier opponent. And Nomura just had a fucking war with Suwama. So it was like Nomura emptied the tank to beat this former Triple Crown champion, a guy who's a made guy in the company, you know, a veteran dude in Suwama, a fucking Haas. He had to fight for his life. And, that was a, and, and he was tremendous in that match, by the way. I don't know if you saw that match. But Nomura uh, beating Suwama to get to 10 was just a tremendous Nomura performance. I haven't, but I do want to check that one out. That that's that's one that I have kind of a star on to go back. Even though the carnival's over, there's a few matches I want to go back and check out that I missed. <laughs> yeah, I mean Suwama Suwama in that match. I didn't think Suwama had a great tournament. He had a couple of great matches, but overall I didn't think he had a great tournament. I'll get to that. But Nomura just stole the show in that match. And now he has to get right back in the ring and face sort of this guy that he's always going to be linked with, because these are the two guys they're trying to elevate at the same time. And he's got to face Jake Lee, who wrestled fucking 90 minutes or two hours earlier and was in a nine-minute match. So then that match was basically the story was was right there for you. It's how much more does Nomura have in the tank. And really, it was smart booking because Jake Lee wins the match, but Nomura doesn't look bad because 
he was expected to lose. Right, he he's pr- he's protected war. in that sense. He's protected yes. in the sense that he just went to a war with a guy that's you know twice his size and Suamo's you know this big giant bear or whatnot. So yeah, losing the lead doesn't hurt him at all because yeah, he just went through a war with Suama and and yeah, you 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 would it would almost be we always say it it almost be comical if he beat Lee then. It, it actually works yes. a little bit better. It's like no 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 that doesn't make any fucking logical sense. He of course is going to be beaten up and Lee's all fresh and 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 ready to go. So yeah, it doesn't. It, but but you're right. It's right on the money. It's perfect booking. And not only that, they split their two matches too. Wrestling's not hard, by the way. It's not yeah, hard. Like, just not hard. kind of thinking of it is 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 it's pretty easy. So they split their two matches. Lee's the fresher man. He wins, and Nomura gets over just by beating, just by overcoming Suwama. He got over, and in the way that he did it, his the performances are important here because if he beats Suwama and the match stinks and he doesn't show any fire and it's just a blah mat, then none of this works. But so we have to mention that, and then Lee's performance against Miyahara the next night. Again, like I already noted, he won me back over with that performance. So from that perspective, I like that Miyahara won. I like the idea of the dominant ace. I love the idea that he's peaking right now and he should be fucking winning everything. He should win a champion carnival at some point. So so it's good that he finally has that under his belt as well. And I think that Nomura and Lee, who were the two most important guys in the tournament, uh, both came out of it looking like a million bucks. So... This was just a win-win-win all over the place for all Japan. And now we see what happens. Now we see what happens. I am feeling way more confident on Nomura and Lee than I was before this tournament. Especially since Nomura is already coming off that excellent match against Miyahara, uh, the title challenge that he had before this. And, um, you know, so he kind of started to get over then. So it made more, again, perfect booking. It made more sense to give Lee this match because Nomura just had one. So you give this one to Lee, and I think Lee delivered. He knocked it out of the park. And what else can you say about Miyahara? This guy knocks it out of the park every single time he gets in the ring. The only match he had in this tournament that wasn't either great or borderline great was against Valletta. And no one cares because it's Valletta. (laughs) Okay, and Valletta beat him. Okay, let's not forget, Miyahara lost three matches in this tournament. Now look, he'll defend against Suji Ishikawa, and that'll be great. And he lost to Valletta. I don't think that's going anywhere. I don't think they have the balls to give Valletta a title match. Um, so I just think it was one of those things to, you know, shock the crowd. It was the main event uh, in the show that they did. But outside of that Valletta match, Miyahara killed it every night. I mean, and, and to me, it pushed him uh, way ahead of my number two right now, which is Will Ospreay. Okay, and I haven't watched the progress tag team stuff yet, to be fair. So put an asterisk on that. But to me, he is number one. And he's way ahead of the field. And Will Ospreay is like next, but he's like number three. Like that's how far ahead I have Kento Miyahara right now in terms of a wrestler of the year. And I do think he's a stronger candidate for like a most outstanding version of the wrestler of the year. I don't know how strongly I feel about him as far as like an MVP. Yeah, yeah, and business type and all that sort of stuff too. But with that said, Rich, who else is there? No one's really leaped ahead of the pack this year. And we have a lot of things to go. We got AEW starting up. You really can't talk about any of this stuff until the G1. So, look, there's a lot of year left. So if I had to vote right now, I might vote Kento Miyahara number one in both versions of the wrestler of the year. I think he's been that good. And he's peaking right now, and he's never been better. And I used to, and I thought this guy was great for the last three years. Right, yeah, yeah. We've been singing this, this phrase year, for a while. I mean, you know, he's, 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 he's getting it now where when he's in the ring with someone who's a crowd favorite, he, he works as a cocky prick. You know what I mean? That, that thing that you see Tanahashi do from time to time. 
or that thing that you see Okada do from time to time is what he's doing, and he, and, he, and and he's awesome at it. You know, sticking his tongue out at the fans, fucking around with the referees, and 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 you know, it's like these little things that he's added to his game that he didn't have before, and his work is just so crisp and so perfect. I mean, it, this guy is just so good. Every time he gets in the ring with someone not named Johnny Valletta, you know that he's going to knock it out of the park and lift his opponent up to his level too. That's the other thing. Okay, so it's like, you know, to me, I don't think there's anybody in the world wrestling better than him right now. It's a big take there. Yeah. Um, no, I've, everything I've seen of him this year uh, and even in the last year, too. And again, like this is, a you know, we're, we're a show that has, has been singing his praises uh, for years. But I'm kind of with you, too, that it seems to just be clicking on a different level. Uh, I'd say about halfway through last year and then all of this year so far, everything I've seen him in, even that the Kai match from earlier in the year, I think the third, I want to say, was, it was right before Wrestle Kingdom, so it got kind of lost and, and, and scooped up. Third or the second, I forget exactly what the date was of that. I mean, that was a spectacular match. We'll talk about two ones here that, that, that I saw that I really wanted to point out. Uh, but yeah, even last year, I remember some matches. I think the Champion Carnival final last year was him versus Mirafuji, right? And then they had a rematch, if I remember correctly, like later that month too. And both of those matches were great. And 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 yeah, he's just kind of clicking. And and you know, I wanted to look at his age too, because that's something that we always you know kind of harp on is the age of wrestlers too plays a big part. And he just turned thirty, or he or he's thirty this year right now. So that is sort of, and we, we talk about sort of wrestler prime. Maybe he's not in the quote unquote what we sort of say like the mid thirties wrestler prime, but you can definitely tell the difference between thirty year old Kento Miyahara in terms of like the little things in wrestling. And you know, twenty-eight and twenty-seven-year-old Miyahara, twenty-eight and twenty-seven-year-old Miyahara, great wrestler, good at a lot of stuff. But now, thirty-year-old Kento Miyahara has just got the little things down a little bit: the mannerisms, the faces, the the, the screams at the right time, the selling at the right time, uh, when to pop up, when to hold. I mean, God, that straight jacket, German. He's just he's holding it like the perfect amount of time every single time. You, you know, it's one of those dumb little things that we talked about a, a, a little bit ago with Kento. But it's just like, you know, he he could. You're watching it. And you're like, all right, what's he going to do? And when's he going to do it? When's he going to do it? And it just seems like, for whatever reason, he just nails it at the exact time where it's not too long, it's not too short, and it just works perfectly for the opponent that he has. So, so yeah, the Kai match was one that, in particular, I remember you and I just gawked. I mean, we just couldn't believe how perfectly he hit that straight jack and how perfectly he sort of teased it. So uh, that that's been that one too. But yeah, no, I think and, and the two matches I wanted to point out too, and I know there's the two matches that you loved as well. Uh, the final, which we'll talk about in a sec, but I think my favorite match of the entire tournament, the favorite thing that I've seen, and a match that's definitely going to be in my top 10 uh, this year. I, well, unless, unless some things maybe, you know, and like you said, there's a lot of year left to go. So that kind of a bold uh, declaration to say it's going to definitely be in my top 10, but I think it'll be a contender too, uh, is from the 25th. So it was April 25th. Uh, it was Mia Har versus Okabayashi. And I thought, God damn, those dudes, what they did. And I, I, you know, going into it, I'm watching it going, okay, this has got to be great, right? It's these two dudes. Okabayashi rules. Mia Har has had a great tournament. Mia Har has been great for a year. Uh, Okabayashi is great too. And those dudes just went out there and had like just a, uh, just equal parts sprint, a brutal, like, oh my God. I mean, what would you think of that match, the Miyahara and Okabayashi? I just, that, I, that was my favorite match of the entire tournament, and it wasn't even close. That was the block final. And Yuji Okabayashi was right there with Kento Miyahara in terms of, so great. Um, in terms of how good of a tournament he had. And the pacing in this match was just uh, unreal. I'm trying to get the, the time of it because I forget. I mean, it, it, it blew by. Yeah, oh, damn it. I don't, they don't have the time here. I'll see if I can find the time of it because, like, I don't know that I could properly guess the time. Like, to me, it felt like 10 minutes, even though I know it wasn't. But they just went balls to the wall so quickly and so long. But let me let me see if I can find out exactly and, what the time was. Yeah, and the thing with Okabayashi is he's a top five wrestler of the year right now. And that got solidified in this tournament. And remember, the pace that they worked in this block final. And Okabayashi was coming off of wars this week uh, in the same week 
against Dylan James and against Zeus. He was coming off back-to-back nights with absolute wars against Dylan two highly physical matches against those against those two beasts. And then three days later, he's in there with Miyahara, and the pace they worked. Okabayashi was a machine in this tournament. A fucking machine, Rich. So we got to give him his credit, too. But yeah, if you put a gun to my head, um, it was either, yeah, that Miyahara-Okabayashi block final or the Okabayashi-Zeus match. Those were probably my two favorite matches in the tournament. So, you know, you know, we, we gush enough about Kento Miyahara and we talk about him all the time. But, you know, I thought Okabayashi. And Okabayashi had another match, um, you know, earlier in the tournament against Suji Ishikawa, which I thought, you know, they, they fucking knocked it out of the park. That was night one. Oh, back on night one and then he has those three matches down the, the you know the final stretch of the tournament so he was outstanding too but yeah just a tremendous match with an, with an incredible pace and if you're not overly familiar with Kento Miyahara uh, go watch that one go watch that match against Yuji Okabayashi because you get a, a, a good feel for Okabayashi too and then obviously watch the final against Jake Lee uh, 18 minutes 24 seconds match time for that it did, <laughs> that was the shortest 18 minutes of my life and, and it's not like they just Sprinted either. That's the thing when we talk about pacing and whatnot. It's not like they went in the yeah. ring and just immediately started, you know, throwing bombs at each other. It wasn't that at all. Like it, it, it was. It it's was just all action. Yeah, it was just like every every move, every step, every lariat, every chop, every punch, just all sort of meant something, and it all sort of played into how the the match went down, and it all just kind of played into how the match was structured. And and Okabayashi just screaming to the crowd and just throwing these lariats, and oh my god, I just fucking love that match so much. And uh, yeah, that, that's one to definitely definitely go out of your way to see. But I know you have watched a little bit more of the tournament. What, uh, what else made the notebook, the, the infamous Joe Lanza notebook from uh, this champion carnival? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that peaked very high. Like I said, I had 14 total matches wow. <laughs> that that went, um, you know, uh, four stars or better into the notebook. Night one had four of them. So if you haven't seen any of this, night one is a great place to start. I think uh, I, I mentioned a couple of them, but to me, the best matches of the tournament were Okabayashi and Ishikawa uh, from night one. And then um, Ishikawa... Uh, Suji Ishikawa versus Kento Miyahara on uh, on the 14th. Uh, Okabayashi versus Zeus on the 21st, which to me is neck and neck with the Miyahara-Okabayashi block final. Those four are the standouts. And the Okabayashi-Zeus and the Okabayashi-Kento Miyahara, to me, uh, were probably the two best matches of the tournament. And if you forced me to pick one, I would pick the Kento Miyahara match. I would throw Miyahara Jake Lee in there too. So I'll give you those five. I had all those at four and a half. So those were the five highest rated matches I had in the tournament. I, re- I really uh, liked it. Real quickly on, on Lee and, and Miyahara, I really liked it. But I think one of the issues that I had is kind of watching some of these Champion Carnival matches is, and, and this happens with the G1 as well. I kind of get, I kind of get used to like the the twenty minute match, you know what I mean? The 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 fifteen minute match where guys just kind of compact a lot of the stuff. Whereas that one, I, I, and I'm not saying these guys are going to go out there and have a ten minute you know block final. I get why they kind of went a little longer, but to me, it just felt like a lot of the early like I had kind of gotten lulled into this like twenty minute, eighteen minute. Like I kind of enjoy those, and then you get to the finals, and those are a little bit lengthier. I think I forget the match time in this one. It was somewhere along twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight, somewhere in that range. So it was a little bit longer, which it needs. I, I get why it needs to be, but that's some one of the parts that I find myself kind of like, all right, let's go, let's kind of get to the next. Because once you got going, G- it was are good. Are you talking about the Jake Lee final? Uh yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. 
I just felt that sometimes it was a little, I, I don't know, the early part was a little slow for me. Once they got going, it was great. And once it got going and, and the story was being told and all that sort of stuff, it was great. But it felt like the early parts of the match, they were kind of just stalling time for the first seven or eight minutes. And so like, okay, now let's go. And that's one of those things that like, you know, when you kind of get used to the, the, the carnival and, and like I said, the same thing happens with the G1 too. You get used to these 18 minute matches or whatever. And then you get like a big boom, like 35 minute epic thrown in front of you. And it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, this daunting thing at first. But so with that being said, I still enjoyed the hell out of it. I just probably put it a little bit lower than, than uh, Miyahara and, uh, and, and Okabayashi. Uh, yeah, I didn't think it was uh, quite as good as Miyahara Okabayashi, but it didn't drag for me at all. And I think maybe the reason was I was really intensely studying Jake Lee in that match. Because honestly, Rich, I thought that was the most important match of Jake Lee's career. He's in the carnival final against Kento Miyahara. Though Mora has kind of nudged ahead of him in a lot of people's eyes as, as, as you know, the guy that can be the rival of Miyahara and the next star in the company. And to me, it was a very important match for Jake Lee. And I really watched him closely. So I was super invested in the match from bell to bell. Obviously, as it got going, like you said, it was a great match. And I thought some of the... Uh, they didn't overdo it with the near falls either. They gave Jake Lee one really big near fall on a backdrop driver. Do you remember that one? And he yes. Didn't even, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he didn't even hook the leg. And they got a good camera shot of it. He just kind of fucking did the two-handed press. And that cocky little bastard thought that he had Miyahara beat. And Miyahara kicked out. And, and they zoomed in on Lee's face. And he was looking at the referee. And it was such a cool moment in the match because I'm watching and I'm like, oh, you fucked up, you little shit. You fucked up. You needed to hook that leg. And, and you know, obviously we know what happened from there. But, um, but yeah, to me it didn't drag. But I was super invested in, uh, you know, seeing uh, how Jake Lee would do in that spot because Nomura delivered in his spot against Suwama. And the Lee-Nomura match really wasn't an opportunity for Lee to deliver because it was just more of a story match. He was just, you know, he was the favorite and he was going to win. And um, so he, he had to match Nomura. And I, and I, and I thought that he did. Um, one other guy who I thought was great in the tournament was Zeus. He's another guy where if you're going to go back and watch stuff, I have to say, I, I like Zeus, but this has been the best run of Zeus that I've ever seen. This tournament right here. He was so good in this tournament. Every night he brought it and he brought intensity and he brought fire. And he worked his ass off, and uh, he's all over my notebook. I talked about the match against Yuji Okabayashi. Um, I thought his match with uh, Suji Ishikawa was a tremendous match. Zeus got a notebook match out of Ryuji Sai. Whoa. Which is, uh, a bit of <laughs> Holy a crap. Yeah. His match with Kento Miyahara, although I wouldn't call it super high-end, on the ninth, I thought was a... Uh, was 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 a good was a great match. So Zeus was another guy who delivered. If I was going to rank everybody out, I'd say that uh, Okabayashi and Kento Miyahara were just head and shoulders above everybody. I think that they were uh, by far the two best people in the tournament. I don't even know how to split that hair. I think Zeus was right behind them. Um, and then from there, Dylan James had a really good tournament. Now the match everyone's talking about against Okabayashi, I agree was his best match. And in fact, it's the only one I have in the notebook, but he had solid performances night in, night out. During the grind of the tournament where I'm watching, Rich, I had so many matches in this tournament <laughs> where, I, where I went below two stars. Wow. How often do I do that? Yeah, you're, you're usually like, if you guys give a good effort, I'm going to at least give you two, two I'm and a half. I'm going to give you two. Yeah. I almost started two. You got to fuck up to go below two. 
I don't like going below two. If you're a major league caliber wrestler and you go out there and have a perfunctory match, I'm giving you two out of a courtesy. I went below two on like a half a dozen matches in this tournament. But Dylan James would go out there night after night against whoever the fuck and and just and 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 wrestle well and and hold my attention when basically I wanted to shoot myself in the head watching a lot of these matches. So I put him on that next level with Suji Ishikawa. But Suji Ishikawa, towards the end of the tournament, I think he blew by Dylan James because he made the notebook a few times and had super high-level matches that I don't think James matched. And then after that, that's where Lee and Nomura come in. They had the great match night one, and then they both kind of disappeared until the end. But because they both delivered when it mattered in the end, I don't care what you do against CyberCon, okay? They delivered in Cork and Hall when it mattered, when it counted, so I, I'll put them on the next level with Suwama. Suwama was okay in that he had a couple of great matches, but everything else he did was really fucking boring. And I can't overlook that. So despite the fact that Suwama creeped it, Suwama to me is a guy who at this point is, is I don't want to use the word carry because it's not fair because I don't think he's a bad wrestler, but it's the only word I can, I can use in this instance. He kind of gets carried by the better guys now to the great matches that he has. And I think he's better suited as a tag team wrestler. Right. And, and people will take that negatively, but it's, it's not that, you know, and, yeah, and, but it, it, you know, you look at his age and you look at the injuries and all that sort of stuff. That's fine. You know what I mean? Like the guy's had an incredible career, but yeah, you know, he's 42 with, with you know, Achilles injuries. I mean, most guys never come back from that stuff. So, um, you know, that he's even there, you know, doing good stuff, but you're, you're right. He's, he seemed to in the last few years, or at least when he's come back from that injury, become like a very good tag wrestler and like kind of a, I don't, uh, so so I don't know the correct terminology like you're saying to kind of dance around it a little bit. He's so hit or miss in singles matches. Right, and, yeah. It, it, and, it, yeah. And, and when you look at his singles matches that are great, it's almost always the other guy that's outperforming. Almost right. look at the Nomura match, and I know you didn't see it, but it's like it it Nomura was clearly the star of the match, and he was really overcoming the aura of Suama more than he was overcoming Suama. Does that make sense? It's like Right. Su- mm-hmm. I can't say Suwama was bad in the match, but I don't think he was as good as he could have been or should have been. And I, it was clearly a no more match. So, you know, but I'll put him on that level. You know, he cracked notebook a few times. After those guys, Okabayashi, Miyahara, Zeus, Suji Ishikawa, Dylan James, who really stepped up, and Lee Nomura and Suwama, everyone else was kind of just there. You know, Daishi Hashimoto to me, was the worst person in this tournament. Well, I'm not shocked. <laughs> I put him below Valletta. And the reason I even put him below Valletta is at least... The thing about Valletta is at least he's doing shtick. And you either don't like the shtick or you like the shtick. But it's like, he's not... You don't expect Valletta to go out there and have good... You expect him to swing the chain and you know do... you know Avoid DQs and do referee distraction spots and, have, and brawl in the crap. He's a gimmick. Daishi Hashimoto is not a gimmick. He just goes out there and sucks. So to me, he was the worst person in the tournament. Valletta, I have no use for him in his act. There's one, he made me laugh. One time in the tournament, he made me laugh. I forget who the, it might have been the Miyahara match. But he's got the chain, right? And he's got it wrapped around his fist. And he cocks his fist. And the referee catches him. So he stops mid-punch. And then he just hands the chain to the ref. I, I, that popped me. I laughed. So did the crowd. I guess you had to be there. Anyway. Um, Joe Doring Rich was terrible in this tournament and it pains me to say it and I'm watching this tournament he had a good match night one against Suama and then after that 
he was flat out awful. I put him bottom three. He was bottom three in this tournament. And I'm watching this tournament thinking he has to be hurt. And then it did come out towards the end of the tournament that he was hurt. So um, that it makes a lot more sense why Joe Doring was so bad in this tournament. He was injured. And I'll, I don't remember if he got injured during the tournament or if he got injured coming in. But um, he was a bottom three performer in this tournament with Daishi Hashimoto and Valletta for sure. Um, uh, Joel Redmond debuted. He was fine. Um, you know, people were raving about him. I wasn't as high on Redmond as some other people were, but he acquitted himself well. And he's a guy who I'd, I would like to see back. I think he earned some more tours. Sam Adonis, I got to tell you, he was better than I expected. He's gotten, you know, he's a weird thing where like he, every time that I see him live, he's a little bit better than maybe it's just a guy that understands. And, and cause I, everybody that, you know, watched him consistently in Mexico always says, yeah, I know he kind of stinks. He might be a guy that just understands that he can just get by on pure charisma in Mexico. You know what I mean? He might just be the smartest worker in the world where it's just like, dude, I don't need to do anything. I just have to do my gimmick and people are going to boo me. And I do a basic match and I get out of there and I get paid. And I'm one of the biggest stars, you know, there, whereas like, cause I've seen him at warrior wrestling. I've seen him at a few independent shows. I've seen him a few other places and he's always a little bit better than I expect him to be. So maybe he is, better than, than 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 you know maybe we underrate him a little bit in terms of his skill level and maybe he just kind of knows when to dog it and knows when to, to give some effort yeah he um he didn't do he didn't do the trump stuff because i guess in japan i mean what's the point i mean yeah i wouldn't play that. very well <laughs> i don't think yeah. yeah i mean i have no idea I, I guess trump is considered an asshole everywhere but i mean in mexico it really does get you know the, the fucking mega heat and japan is not the same tone i guess but he he, he did do a heel routine he just didn't do the the trump stuff but his wrestling, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. He's still, like, just a guy, but he was better. Than I, I thought he was going to be bad, and he wasn't. He was fine. You know, he was just an undercard guy who was going to win three or four matches and go out there and have eight-minute matches. He wasn't offensive at all. Um, at Sushi Aoki, another guy, uh, you know, I got him in a notebook once. Uh, Miyahara, night one. I thought those guys had a, uh, a five-star match coming out of the gate. But then Aoki, because he was a junior, he did a lot of stuff where he was, like, working as an underdog. Because mm, he was, a yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, and sure. I mean, his work was his work was fine, but it's like, and and, and he he got the big upset um, in the block final to eliminate Dylan James. He upset Dylan James, uh, you know, working as an underdog. He was okay. He was fine. He had his moments. Uh, Aoyagi, Yuma Aoyagi. Now he's a guy who, if he steps up his game, he can get on that same plane with Nomura and Jake Lee. You know, I really believe that. But it's clear that they're not focusing on him right now, and they and they clearly like the other two better. So he was kind of a forgotten man here, but uh, he was fine. Uh, Yoshitatsu was just a bad wrestler. I, I know people stand up for him now, and I know that he there's a couple times a year where he really does step it up, particularly in tag matches, but he wasn't good here. And he was put into a couple different main events. And um, look, he's just not at the level of the top guys in this company. At best, you're going to get a professional performance. And then, and then at worst, you're going to have those nights where he's, well, you know what I mean, where he's really bad. I mean, yeah, there's right, just right. nights, you know, but he, 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 in this tournament, he didn't have any of those nights where he really, it, where it was magical and it all worked, which is what you get a couple times. It just didn't happen here. And then, um, I guess there's one, oh, and Cyberkong. Yeah, my man uh, Cyberkong. Yeah, how was he? He was exactly what you thought he would be. He was an undercard guy who usually went on as the first or second tournament match. And he got his personality over and he banged around with the big boys a little, but you know, what was, what was stunning to see. I was gonna say probably how not big he was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. 
like you you see him in Dragon Gate. <laughs> he's a monster. Yeah, he's, he's a monster. He's five inches taller and a hundred pounds heavier than everybody. But yeah, not. Uh... And you know, he wrestled Joe Doring one night. I think it was Doring. It was either Doring or Dylan James? I forget who was in whose block. It's all blur. But I think it was Doring. It was it was Doring. He was in there with Doring, and they had a standoff. And he literally was like staring at Doring's nipples. Yeah, I mean, the, Mike, the Mike Awesome syndrome where you're just like, you know, the monster of ECW, then you go to WCW and, you know, you stand next to Kevin Nash and you grow, you're, you know, you're up to his, as you said, his nipples or whatever. And it's just like, oh yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. Mike Awesome at least was like a legit 6'2", 6'3", standing next to a guy 6'10". Right, right, right. This is a guy who's probably like 5'4". Five, five. <laughs> I mean, be, oh no, it can't be that short. I, Rich, I'm telling you, it stunned oh, me. Really? Hmm. It stunned me how small he was. Like he 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 looked absurd. Yeah, he's listed as five ten, but I that that's not a chance. There <laughs> is ambitious. no way he's five ten. I I would bet my life he is not five ten because he was tiny next. I mean, go just pull up the Joe Doring match. Don't watch the match. Just watch the beginning of the match. It is absurd how small he looks. Yeah, but what, what, is Joe, what is Joe Doring listed? Joe Doring is listed at 6'5", which I think is also aggressive, too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, he's definitely over six foot. There's no question about that. Um, I don't know if he's 6'5". Um, probably not. But I, my guess is Joe Doring is probably like 6'2", and Cyber Kong is like 5'5", five 5'6". Foot five, five foot that if, if I had to just visualizing what I said, but yeah, he, look, he was fine. He was another car guy. He gets over with his personality, but look, I wasn't expecting him to go out and have bangers every night. I mean, I knew that wasn't going to be the case. So um, really the three guys who stunk were Daishi Hashimoto, Joe Doring, and uh, Johnny Valletta. The Valletta matches though. I mean, in some of the cities he got over, I mean, in some of these cities, they're into that act. I have no use for it. With that said, I get why these companies put one guy like this in these tournaments. It mixes it up. Sure. We talk about it with the G1 all the time. Rich, it's a night off. You know what I mean? You walk and brawl around the crowd. Valletta grabs you by the hair, and you go marching through the crowd. You get in the ring. He does his spot with the chains. You take three bumps, and you get out of there. You know what I mean? So I understand it. And really, it's on me. For watching all the match, why am I watching these Johnny Valletta match? I mean, I, I, you could put that on me, right? You, know? you don't it's have like, to do this. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to do that. Yeah, so it's like if you're into his routine, go ahead and watch and enjoy it, and and you know. But if you're not, then you, you, no one's making you watch. He had one main event, and it was against Miyahara. I mean, if you're working Miyahara, you're main eventing. So otherwise, they didn't even put him in his block. His block final, he was done already. He worked a tag, so they didn't even put him in a single. And Cork and Hall for his block final. That tells you what they think of him. Do you know what I mean? It's like they don't want him to have a singles match with Cork and Hall. But um, that's why I don't think he's going to get a title match against Miyahara. And if he does, it's just going to be gimmicky anyway. But um, but yeah, that's Champion Carnival. I mean, to wrap it up, I mean, look, a lot of look. There was a draw between Suji Ishikawa and Sai, which was rich, legitimately one of the worst matches I've ever seen. And that's not hyperbole. Did they, did, they go, not, did, did they go 20 for that thing? I don't know. Is it 20 or 30? I don't know how long the time oh, limits are. God. Rich, it was legit one of the worst matches. I might vote it my worst match of the year. It was so bad and so heatless. And I would have never thought that Suji Ishikawa, the big dog, was capable of having a match this bad. It was so boring. 
I, I've it, 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 and and here's the thing. Thankfully, I wasn't. Imagine if I knew it was going to be a draw, and I sat. I mean, at least I wasn't spoiled on it. But I mean, I realized about three quarters of the way through that they were going all the way. And it was just so fucking Who greenlit that? (laughs) It's not the two guys that I think I would would say. I guess it was for points, you know, to get the... I guess. But, but, I mean, the Daishi Hashimoto stuff was all awful. I mean, he topped out at two and a half. Um, Oh, he's he's garbage, so... Joe Doring was hurt, and a lot of his stuff was bad. And, you know, it was just a real... A lot of those stops in those hotel conference rooms are just so dry, and the fans aren't into it, and... Remember how Noah was a few years ago where the crowds just weren't reacting to him? Yeah, they didn't care. Yeah, they just, I don't know why they showed up <laughs> even. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what most of these All Japan shows are like. And it's not just for this tour. I mean, if you watch their rank and file shows, it's ugly. I mean, there's just nobody there and nobody cares. All Japan, more than probably any other company right now, is a company where you really need to cherry pick. If you cherry pick all Japan, you think it's like the best company in the world. Like if you watch those 14 matches that I notebooked and you watch the four cork and hall shows, if you watch the the opener and then, you know, the top stuff from the three cork and hall shows that close the tour, you, you would love this fucking tournament. If you attempt to watch it all, you're going to be like, eh, the tournament peaked high, but it really wasn't a great tournament. All right, let's stick with uh, Japan here and talk about some of the stuff coming up with uh, New Japan. We had the Hinokuni uh, show uh, earlier this week, and then we have the two Dontaku shows. So one of them is going to air by the time uh, most of you guys listen to this. Uh, there's one on the third, and there's also one on the fourth, so we're going to talk about those real quick. Uh, before we do that, though, Hinokuni, I just wanted to touch on... Uh, I have not seen any of the shows, so I'll let you kind of give your big kind of thoughts about Hinokuni. But uh, business-wise, we do have to talk about that. So Hinokuni this year... Uh, 2,702 fans with the main event of White and Goto. Uh, last year was 3,435. 3,435 last year with Minoru Suzuki and Tetsuya Naito. Uh, so that's Joe, we have to address. That is a big drop there. 2,702 from 3,435 with Suzuki Naito. What do you make of that for White and Goto? Obviously a much better match last year. Um, I think we alluded to it last week. I think everyone expected uh, this show to not match the Naito Suzuki match from the year before. Um, look, you've got Jay White and Hiroki Goto in a non-title match, and you really don't have much underneath. You've got Gorillas of Destiny versus Yano and Makabe. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can't make a judgment on this. I need to see White. Forget Goto. He doesn't matter. But I need to see White in a bigger spot. I don't have a feel for how I'm supposed to interpret this. I really don't. Yeah, I, I'm kind of um, with you. Like, it, it to me, it's like, I, it's weird and it's troubling and it's something to definitely make a note of. But it's something that you know I'm going to wait a little bit before we make like a, a, a sweeping judgment that okay, it's you're done with White, it's over, you can never go back to this guy. I think it is something that you do need to sort of um, see him, like you said, in a bigger spot. It, 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 these Hinokuni shows are always kind of strange and weird and interesting, and 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 you know, it is in some ways a trial period for some guys. But I think White does deserve, I think, one more big sort of. Oh, I don't think anyone is, uh, you know, saying that. I'm sure somebody is, is, but you know, but but somebody on Twitter is, but yeah, it's uh, nobody, nobody that matters. Nobody that's hand- yeah, nobody's opinion is worth anything. Yeah, yeah, is going to hand wave White off of this. I mean, Goto in a non-title match. Um, but but yeah, he still hasn't really been tested. I mean, if he would have knocked this out of the park, that's obviously a huge feather in his cap. That didn't happen. The show didn't completely bomb either, though. It's like, it's weird. I, I don't know. I think this is a number 
you store it away and you wait and see for him to be in a bigger spot. I'm sure he's going to headline some G1 shows. So he'll be tested soon enough. Um, They've done a pretty good job protecting him from that perspective. But I think that, look, they've got shows in Australia that they have to have big matches for. A show in the UK. They have the MSG show where they burned off a bunch of drawing matches. They've got this expanded schedule with a million shows now. And they got to come up with main events for them. And it's tricky. It's, it, you know, they're in a tricky spot. So you're going to see main events like this one where it's just two singles guys or like we have coming up where they're main eventing with a junior match and they main evented with a junior tag match on this tour. So they're, they've got to go deeper just based on the expanded schedule with what they're putting on top on these shows. And some of them are not going to sell out. I mean, there's going to be towns that are like, what is this? You know, and they're not going to respond with an instant sellout. Like, you know, with the mega shows that they had years before, because it's just the sheer number of shows that they got to come up with with creative main events. All right, let's get to the uh, the main event here. I want to talk about again. I have not seen the match, but uh, you you uh, last week we talked about this Jay White versus Goto. Uh, you, you were kind of on record saying there's no. I mean, Goto's probably going to get his win back over Jay White. There's no, and I told you, man, he's the geek of all minute. geeks these days. Oh, no, no, you weren't. No, you weren't betting the house. I'm just saying you thought it would be kind of interesting. You thought it'd be a weird thing if Jay White just beat him again. Correct. I tried to I tried to sell you on the idea that yeah, it didn't could possibly win. Nah, it didn't. You work. weren't buying geek. it. He's a fucking. Geek. Uh, you, we lost. You weren't buying it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Look, it, I didn't like the match. Particularly like the match. Look, I shouldn't say I didn't like it. I didn't think it was a great match. I think I went like three and a half on it. Um. This was a boring show. This was not a good show. I did not like this show at all. Um. If the white Goto match happened on a better show. It's like I might have a more – it's weird. I might be like, okay, well, that, that's fine. But because the rest of the show didn't deliver, it kind of has – it puts the impetus on the main event to knock it out of the park. Do you understand what I'm saying with that? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And, and, the, and the rest of the show was not good, and the main event did not knock it out of the park. I mean, it was the best match on the show, but that's not good enough. It, it, to me – now, other – I know Dave Meltzer loved the match. Some other people love the match. I did not love the match. I thought it was a good match. I didn't think it was anywhere close to being a great match. Um, and the show overall was not good. The, the bad luck folly Michael Nichols, Mikey Nichols match, which we feared was going to be bad, Richard was bad. Um, not good. Mikey. Um, was it Mikey's fault or bad luck? Who, who's, who was more at fault or were they both equally just shit? All I know is... Okay, I'm adding a half star to the Juice Robinson <laughs> for the miracle that Juice Robinson pulled off the week before. Um, look, I just don't think, for all the reasons we talked about last week, it just didn't work. Yeah. And Mikey Nichols needs to turn it around quick because the grace period is quickly over, is quickly going to be over. Um, and, and the problem with this Hino Kuni show, too, the crowd stunk. We were ranting and raving about the great crowds on this tour and how they were lifting everything up. And then on maybe the first show that people were really going to parachute in on because it was a fairly big show, the crowds were terrible. And all these tag matches that were great all tour long were nothing matches. A bunch of two-star specials up and down the card. And the bad crowd didn't help. Juice Robinson, Chase Owens was basically taking place. May as well have been an empty arena match. I mean, they just got nothing. And... um you know, the Grills of Destiny versus MVP. Uh, you know, I what do you want? You know, two and three quarters, three, maybe. 
Um, that match did nothing for me. This was one of the coldest, driest, you know, big time New Japan shows in recent memory. And I cannot recommend any of it to anyone. Um, if you haven't seen this show, maybe go watch the main event just for the interest of posterity to see the main event of a big New Japan show. And it really, in a vacuum, the match is fine. But this was one of the lousiest major New Japan shows in a long, long time. All right, let's get to the Dontaku shows now. So we have uh, May 3rd, May 4th, as we mentioned. Real quick kind of business discussion here. Last night, uh, and, and we'll have to kind of frame this now uh, with what these uh, what these shows do uh, this week. But uh, last year, first night, they drew 4,066 fans for uh, Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page, Cody versus Kota Ibushi, uh, and Okada and Will Ospreay versus Tanahashi and Kushida. Uh, and then the second night last year, drew a sellout of 6,307. Uh, Okada versus Tanahashi for the IWGP title. That's going to be a tough one to follow, uh, given the cards we're going to talk about, as well as Osprey versus Kushida uh, for the junior title. So that was a loaded show that that made uh, the second night uh, last year. So now let's get to... Um, We'll start with the May 3rd show uh, going on. Of course, by the time most, some of you guys listen to this, but we're still going to kind of preview it here and there. Uh, starting at the top, I think that's probably the best way to do, just to kind of compare it to last year's. Uh, you have Dragon Lee versus Ishimori, and that's for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship again. So that's kind of your main event, which I think is uh, an interesting spot for the, both of those guys as well. Uh, your semi-main is Jeff Cobb versus Taiichi for the Never Openweight title. Uh, and then the tag match that I think is kind of the, the more supporting of the tag matches, uh, Ishii and Okada versus uh, Evil and Sonata. Is kind of your big three there for the show. Where where do you think this, you know, compared to a Kenny Omega versus Hangman, Cody versus Kota, uh, and then Okada and Osprey versus Tanahashi and Kushida, this one feels, I guess, a little lower just because of the junior main event. But I'm I'm very curious uh, how this one does business wise. No, again, you're asking a lot of this main event, right? You know, it's it's a junior match. I would suspect that both of these shows will have negative growth. Year over oh, year. for sure. Oh, yeah. I just listed those cards. I mean, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna go down from Okada versus Tanahashi for sure when we talk about this this May fourth one, and, and and yeah, this one too is just there's less star power at the top of this 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 show this particular show. Yeah, I mean, you have a junior match on top, and it doesn't have Hiromu, and it doesn't have Willow Spray, and Kushida's not in the company anymore, and I you know Dragon Lee and Taiji Shimori. I mean, those are pushed guys, and I know fans like them, but I don't know necessarily that they're draws. I guess we're gonna find out. Jeff Cobb Taichi is a nothing match from that perspective, and uh, like you said, you probably got to go all the way down to this Okada Ishii versus Evil Sonata match. But um, you had a lot of chances to to see those kind of tags on this tour. Um, I don't know what city are they in here. They're in uh, uh, Hamakatsu, Hamakatsu, I believe. But that, that could be wrong. Fukuoka. Oh, you're sorry, sorry, wrong. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I don't know if necessarily that match is going to look. This is, but again, this is a symptom of running the expanded schedule this year. You're going to need matches like Dragon Lee and Taiji Ishimori and Jay White and Hiroki Goto and Rapongi 3K versus Bushi and Shingo to step up and, and deliver the best they can. Um, I don't think they're going to match it. Now, the next night, you can forget it. I mean, you're asking, that's a tall fucking task. You're going up against Okada Tanahashi. So, and, and, you're, and you're attempting it. I mean, it, what, what can you put up that's going to, you know, I, I mean, that's a tricky spot. So I don't even think that uh, they're attempting to match that number. Um, but, but who knows? You know what? Who knows? Sonata is LIJ, which is, which helps. And he's more popular than people give him credit for. Um, but I would still be very, very surprised if the Okada Sonata match can match the Okada Tanahashi match from the year before. Yeah. Yeah. I would as well. Um, now Ishii evil has been a hot feud on the tour. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, you know, um, you know that match is, is decent support. And they did add Kota Ibushi to these shows. And, you know, that's going to help, too. And um, I guess on the second night, too, they're going to reveal Phantasmo as X. Because you've got Willow Spray and Dragon Lee versus Taiji Ishimori and, and who we all assume is going to be Phantasmo. Um, that's the better show. I mean, I think without question, show on the um, what's that? The fourth or the fifth? That is the that is the, that's the fifth or the fourth? The fourth. Sorry, sorry. My, so the nurse bursted into the room here. She said she had some content that she thought you would enjoy. Hashtag oh, great. Okay, so yeah, what do you got here? So I currently have. Oh, first off, um, does what's the best way to say it, Joe? Vaginal hair would, would if you had a uh, if you had an abundance of vaginal hair, would it prevent an STD? help prevent no, it might make it worse okay there we go all right so there, there we go there was okay. I, I'll, I'll explain later what that question was about that was neither scary. joe and i believe that but just wanted to okay now i don't know okay, okay now I'm follow like, up with yours so i have in my hand yeah a bag um i went to white Castle you can hear okay joe right on the way home yeah you hear okay fine. all right um and i don't know if you've heard of a thing called impossible burgers hey, joe have you heard the, of the impossible burger I'm in the restaurant business. Of He's course. in the restaurant. He just said, "I'm in the restaurant here. I can, I can hook I you need, up." I need, I need. Well, no, then everyone, no, no, then everybody can hear it. Okay, right. hold on a sec. Wait, I gotta. Wait, just give me one of your earbuds. No, I will. Here, here, here you go. I gotta. Oh, okay. Oh, you want one of the earbuds? Yeah, here you just go. one earbud. Right. Okay. She wants to hear you, Joe. Okay. So, so you're in. Oh yeah, you're. In He's the, the restaurant business. Okay. How dare you? So you to know meet about the... Impossible Burgers? Theoretically, for those who don't know, they are burgers that theoretically taste just like regular hamburgers. Not just taste like regular hamburgers i heard they, they bleed they bleed <laughs> they because contain they no have meat. like fake hemoglobin they have like they like simulated hemoglobin to bleed out of these motherfuckers they did they simulated certain proteins to produce like fake hemoglobin. blood yeah yes and it's creepy and i refuse to taste them cool i have um <laughs> I went to White Castle, and right in front of me here, in front of Rich and I. Which is interesting, because we had a discussion about White Castle four, a few weeks ago, yeah. We got four regular White Castles oh, and four God. impossible If a White regular Castles. White Castle decimates your stomach as bad as it does, can you even imagine what the fake hemoglobin ones do? Let's try well, it. Well, we're about to find out. Okay, all right. That's okay. The, we're got, we're so about you want to me to go out. right to the impossible? Or you want me to? Oh my god, go right to it. What? Why no, would you I need thought, a? I think eat a regular one. First she wants the then... control. You want the control, or do you go to the control? No, maybe you're right. Maybe eat the impossible burger first. Okay. Because once you eat that, you're never gonna get that taste out of your mouth. That's true. Yeah. Okay. All right, Joe. I'm gonna. So first of all, right off the bat, you can. Tell <laughs> we're a little low on time here, but that's fine. Fuck. Uh, okay. Crockett so right. you can tell that they are the Impossible Burgers because they're much thicker patties than the. They are. Than the sliders. All right. And we're going for it. All right. Just disgusting sound there. If you put hmm. into the pickle. Hmm. How does it? Okay. How does it look? So it, it looks, looks like a normal burger. It looks more appetizing than a regular yeah, white castle a slider. <laughs> okay, so I can hear both of you chewing. How is the? How is the texture? It kind of ground beef. It, it tastes like ground beef, or it, it, the texture is definitely ground beef. I'm not gonna lie; it doesn't taste exactly like a White Castle slider. It tastes I mean, better. I like it better. <laughs> but it tastes like a regular, yeah. No, it okay, like okay. Meat. So, so the texture is beef. Yeah. Rich, Rich likes it better than yeah. The, it's like a little yeah. less greasy than maybe a White. Castle yeah, it's like, definitely be. less greasy. Which I I, I hate. I don't like really hamburgers because they're greasy. So. So does it taste like beef, Rich? Yeah. Kind of. I, and I think a lot of it is because, no, like yeah. like you said, sort of the mentality of, of throwing in the blood, uh, yeah. making the texture. Like, I don't we know don't that it tastes like just it. So it just yeah, there's no blood. Yeah. There's no blood on our currently cooked meat. <laughs> well, so it's, I white think, it's White Castle, so it's probably an eighth of an inch thick, and it's right. cooked. 
so you're not gonna have. It's actually thicker, like she said. Yeah, it's like double the thickness of a normal White Castle cider. Interesting. Which is interesting. No, and I think like you said, the mental like as I'm eating it, I don't know if it tastes like ground beef, but I think I'm eating ground. My brain thinks I'm eating ground beef. You know what I mean? Right. This is fucking wild. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Big there fan over here. Maybe I should try this stupid thing. Yeah, try try them. I think you'd like them. Well, I don't have White Castle around here, but I do have Burger King. And they oh, that's right. Burger. Oh, yeah, Burger King. He he doesn't have White Castle by him, but he does have Burger King, and they're okay, doing so the Impossible Burgers. They're gonna get them, but they don't have them yet. I don't oh, they think. do buy us. No, they do buy us. Where I wanted, to, I went to White Castle because on the Impossible Burger website. <laughs> oh God. No, okay. I oh, okay. All you right. can go to like the Impossible. There's like a website. The Impossible Burger like Corporation has a website of all the. They locations. don't sponsor the show, by the way. Maybe they should. We'll send it to them after. So all the locations where they sell Impossible meat. Okay. And our Burger King wasn't on there yet, but they will be soon. They're pretty good. Because I list, I was listening to DJ explained, and they were talking about eating these, and I was like, I gotta eat these motherfuckers. <laughs> Joe, anything else? All right, listen, you both enjoyed it. I'm Two liking positive it. Positive reviews. I was expecting you to be spitting them out. So this is, uh, no, this this is they're pretty damn good. Yeah. No, no, those are pretty good. Hmm. I'm I'm right. interested. Oh god, an I'm onion. Eat a regular one now. One second, onion just too. Oh, uh, Rich! Rich doesn't do onions. Rich is not a fan of the onions. The, uh, the original one tastes more fake than the <laughs> burger. That is the White Castle difference, though. You yeah. can't beat that distinctive White Castle flavor. No, no, it's it's a great flavor. I mean, you you, you know crave it. it twice a year. Mm-hmm. You know what you do. I wasn't craving it until the bag came in, and now I'm kind of craving it. So. <laughs> Eat a regular one; it tastes more fake. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know if I want. You know what? I, I'm never going back. Wow. I refuse. And I'm I'm so now a, I'm now a vegetarian. If you are not you like it that much, Impossible Burgers are also supposed to help global warming because of the enteric methane in cows that they produce. Go. So if you want to cut down on global warming, replace your beef patties with Impossible meat. There it is. Yeah. So I, that, do love I, animals. I have no interest in that, but that's <laughs> just as he doesn't care. But, <laughs> but there's no health benefits. So don't worry. No about health it. benefits. Okay, still as unhealthy as normal ground beef. Perfect. Mostly. Great. Maybe as much salmonella. Hopefully a little bit less. But oh yeah, probably less of that. Right? Right, probably less. Yeah. So that's what she learned on a podcast, and that's uh, what we learned on this podcast. That's good. Well, you know, lower that carbon. We have footprint. to like, cite today explained for this information. <laughs> maybe, maybe we definitely are gonna have to pay uh, Impossible Burger a little bit. All right. Same I one of these bad boys for me. I also have a beef from Bona Beef because what I, the okay, hell? Let me tell you the story about that. I went through the drive-through and I was like, "I'm sorry, Joe. This 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 is a uh, Joe went on a long. Okay, it's fine. All right, so you kidding me? This is fantastic. I can't wait for my fucking chicken artichoke panini. Yeah, from yeah. here, right? Mm-hmm. And I get up to the drive-through and I'm like, "Hi, chicken and artichoke panini." And the guy's like, "Oh, we don't have paninis anymore." What? So instead of like a normal person, that'd be like, okay, thank you, and like, drive away. <laughs> you were, I was like, oh, oh you were so awkward. Fuck. So you... And I was like, all right, well then I'll just take a beef sandwich. Oh my then. god, you ordered a beef sandwich because you felt bad. That. Just I drive. Don't, I don't know. I couldn't leave. It wasn't even face to face. It was via speaker. He doesn't even know what I look like. And You're I was so like, embarrassed. Okay, so yeah. I bought a beef sandwich. I don't want it. <laughs> I guess I'll have it then after the show. And so. then I was wait, like, you wait, know what? Impossible for a good thing. Here, Joe wants to talk to you real quick. Wait a minute. A beet sandwich? Beet? A beet, beef. Well, uh, Italian beef. A Italian beef. Sandwich. Oh, I thought you said beet. Like, what is Dwight Oh, no. At the no, she would never eat a beet. She <laughs> no, would I never, would in good that. conscience, eat a beet. No, I wouldn't marry somebody that would eat a beet sandwich. An Italian yeah. beef sandwich. But, from I understand, beef. But, I, but I understand what happened here. You got you got the drive-up panic because you, you were thrown off. 
No, I, this is the order that I have from this place on every time I yeah, go I'm there. Yeah, I'm shook. I'm almost and shook, too. That's what we ordered, too. they must have changed the menu recently because it's like what I always order there. And then I ordered it, and they're like, we don't sell paninis anymore. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, you had the panic. I understand. And then I, I was probably- just like, oh, my God, beef sandwich. Thank you. I would li- I'd still like to eat. Actually, what I really wanted was, <laughs> you know, I didn't actually want that anyway. <laughs> And then the line was really long, and that's why I'm so late. It was literally like a 10 minute line. I was so fucking pissed. <laughs> At that point, drive off. Just... It's a 10 minute line for an item you don't even want. Right. That's... Well, and this is this 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 kind of loops into what we talked about. So so one of Joe's nicknames is the Kenta Kobashi of sex. I won't explain that to you. But we were talking about a guy coming up to Joe during WrestleMania weekend saying, Hey, are you the Kenta Kobashi of sex? And the awkwardness if he said no. Like what would you do then? You know, you know what I mean. So that's you had this weird. You, know, you, you would order a beef sandwich if right. You, you walked up and 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 you wanted this. So instead of just saying, "Oh, all right, well, bye," you you were. I was like, "Nope, this is what I want." <laughs> Actually, on second thought, I really wanted a beef sandwich. Yep. So, so you acquired a beef sandwich and then drove to Taco Bell or to to White Cat. Oh, there God. might be some Taco Bell on there. I don't know. You're you're a bit high on the drive home. What are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's... I gotta go to work. I was just trying to get some post work din din. <laughs> Good God. The nurse, everybody. <laughs> All right. And we so have now gonna... confirmed we have now confirmed that uh a bush does not prevent STDs. So and my cardiac patients on a low sodium diet should not eat any of this. Okay. All right, now you can hit the bricks. All right, Joe wants you to hit the bricks. Tell him to you fuck can... off. Wow. Man. Fuck off, mate. <laughs> can I move this back? I can't see the screen. <laughs> Anyway, what we were talking about uh, on the fourth, that's a nurse, everybody. Uh, follow her on, uh, at explore.exposure on Instagram. So, explore. It's like a doxed. Exploreexposure.com. All right. Anyway. Hold on a second. Are you paying for that plug? Uh, are you paying for that? Yeah. I'll, I'll make her. I'll, I'll, I'll right. steal. She's going to go to bed here in a bit. I'll slip, I'll slip a 20 out of her wallet then to, to pay Good for that luck. plug. I so. got fucking no money. Anyway, all right. So, the fourth, you had mentioned the kind of the important matches There's that I think. Pause. Oh, There's, Jesus. They, with no onions and no pickles on it. <laughs> Fuck them. Well, that's riches. He don't eat the onions. Yeah, I'll take that. That's perfect. That's actually perfect for me. All right, continue. All right. Anyway, on the fourth, uh, you got. <laughs> you're wrestling the back. <laughs> Just go to the other room, please. <laughs> the sooner you leave, the sooner I can hang out with you. Okay. I'm gonna be in bed, bed. Like, All right, that's fine. Bye, go. I love you. Bye, I love you too. Bye, bye, bye. Okay. <laughs> the nurse, everybody. Sport out exposure. <laughs> Anyway, so the fourth, <laughs> I apologize. Uh, the fourth, you have the Will Ospreay Dragon Lee uh, versus X in Taiji Ishimori. Of course, we talked about that last week. That'll be El Phantasmo. Uh, you have Sho, Yo, and Kota Ibushi uh, versus Shingo Takagi, Bushi, and Tetsuya Naito. I love the Sho, Yo, Kota Ibushi combo. It's an awesome one. Uh, and then you said the two kind of business end. Uh, uh, you got Tomohiro Ishii and Evil versus Okada and Sonata. I have no idea what that just was there. I don't, I'm so sorry. Joe, are you still with me? I am with you, sir. <laughs> I'm enjoying this rundown that you're attempting to do of the show while you clearly cannot concentrate. She dro- did you hear what she did? She dropped something out of the fridge. It's a disaster. All right. See you later. Anyway, Joe, Wrestling Dotaku Night 2, what do you think? Uh, yeah, you, we already did this, but I, don't, <laughs> I forgive you for forgetting. Um, <laughs> I'd be very surprised if they matched the draw from last year. Yeah. Obviously, Okada is retaining, and uh, we should probably move on and review Impact Rebellion 
from uh, yes. Toronto. Yeah, we don't want to miss those two. So anyway, we'll review those shows next week, of course. But uh, we have previews up on the website right now, voicewrestling.com, if you want to learn uh, a little bit more about the Dontaku show. So let's get to uh, two big shows, as we said, this weekend. We had the Impact Wrestling Rebellion show uh, and then the NWA Crockett Cup. We'll start off with Rebellion here, uh, Impact Wrestling show on Sunday. I just want to kind of, before we kind of go match by match here, just say that Impact, it, it's they've they've it, they've evolved to an interesting little state. Uh, you know, they have become like, you are going to get a good pay-per-view from Impact almost every time out now. You know what I mean? Between Slammiversary, even the, you know, the, the anniversary show, you know, the, everything just kind of, they just kind of nail these pay-per-views these days, which is an interesting development from them. Like, I never would assume that this would kind of become Impact's reputation these days. But man, Joe, I don't know about you. I saw in the Observer that it had 100% thumbs up. I don't know about you, but I really like this show. Maybe it, it didn't hit the highs of Slammiversary to me, which like last year legit was one of my favorite wrestling shows almost ever. Like, I fucking love Slammiversary last year. I, I think that is just an all-time great show. This didn't reach those highs, but I won't lie that I, I enjoyed everything about this show, and it was over and done within three hours, and I didn't feel like I wasted a second of my time watching the show. What did you think overall of, uh, of Rebellion, though? Yeah, this was a solid-as-fuck show, and Impact has become a reliable pay-per-view company. What the hell? <laughs> How did that happen? What? In the Don Callis era, they have not, they have not, had, a, they have not had a bad pay-per-view. They have not had a bad pay-per-view. And the pay-per-views, not only are they never bad, they're usually good. Slammiversary was great. I mean, that was just a, a different level. But this show was was a solid show. It was a very good show. You know, so um, it was newsworthy. Uh, the action was good. Almost all of the matches. Look, even the matches that were just average were exactly what they should have been. They didn't short overstay their welcome. Short, yeah. So yeah, I you know I I enjoyed the hell out of this. Let's start with the uh, business end, and because I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time on some of the stuff uh, that that went on early in the show. But uh, the the match that went on last, the main event, was LAX defeating the Lucha Bros. Full Metal Mayhem. They win the Impact Tag Team Championships back. I believe they are four time champions, and this was almost exactly what you would expect out of an LAX Lucha Bros. Full Metal Mayhem match. You had tables, you had chairs, you had a fork, you had ring barricades, you had garbage pails, um, and you had guys taking just uh, you know ridiculous bumps left and right. Uh, the finish uh, was Phoenix doing a Spanish fly to, I believe, Ortiz, uh, threw a table on the floor to take him out of it. Uh, while Which, Pentagon- by the way, like... Isn't it awesome? If you if you haven't seen it, at least look at the gif. Like you should definitely check out this the show in this match. But even the gif itself will will, will show you just how crazy that oh, they almost was. died. It's insane. <laughs> they almost died. You know, and then Pentagon uh, Junior does the Pentagon driver to Santana back in the ring. He then sets up uh, thumbtacks on tables, uh, drags Santana up a ladder. He was going to put Santana through the thumbtack covered tables. Santana pulled out the fork. He was bashing Pentagon Jr. in the head with the fork. Pentagon Jr. falls off the ladder through the tables, through the thumbtacks, and LA, and that's the finish as LAX, LAX wins the titles back. Conan forced everybody to hug it out after the match. They're buddies again, and um, and away we go. So, um, look, I don't think this was as good, quite as good as some of the other matches that they've had, but it was still 
a fun spectacle and a good way to end the show. What did you think of this? Yeah, yeah, I, I liked it a lot. But like for me, I'm, I'm a lot of this I was comparing because of the similar venues and 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 a lot of the card had similar you know aspects to Slammiversary last year. So I was comparing this to you know the LAX OGs match last year, and it was not yeah. that. It was nowhere near that, but it was still very good. I mean, I, I think I went four and a quarter with it. Still really liked it. Just the perfect amount of chaos and the perfect amount of like you know kind of plunder and stuff. I think maybe a little too plundery, and that, that you know I'll talk about a match. Uh, earlier in the show that I think got a little too much into that, but but these guys just go balls to the wall. I mean, when the first spot of the match is basically just topes into tables, <laughs> you know, you you know you're in for a pretty good match here. And these guys is exactly what you said. Twenty minutes of just complete, nonstop action, just trying to figure out what these guys are going to do next. And 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 they've kind of LAX uh, has really kind of cornered the market on these types of matches. These just kind of chaotic tag team matches there's nobody better at them than doing it and then phoenix and pentagon i mean they, they speak for themselves uh the resume so i really really liked it and i thought a a good choice to you know main event especially when we talk about what happened in cajun impact i think it would have been a real dud if, if cajun impact was the main event maybe issues out of their hands we'll get to that in a sec so i think great call to have this be the main event because everybody you, you can't help but leave on a positive note watching this match it was a good moment the guy sort of embraced and it was just chaos and fun and it was just a fun wrestling match you know what i mean a match that when you're done you go hell yeah that was an awesome match i love that i watched that all right cool the show's over cool i can i can move on with my life so i i just think a a perfect way to finish the show a perfect way to encapsulate uh, uh, the rebellion everything you said was true but i will say this I'm getting a little tired of LAX and the Lucha Bros because they wrestle in like a million different promotions that I watch. Yeah. And oh, I get like, it. I get it for sure. Yeah. They're in, M- you know, Lucha Bros are in MLW and and LAX are in Beyond and, L- and LAX and Lucha Bros are wrestling. Yeah, so them both wrestle a million times WrestleMania weekend. They've wrestled each other a million times in Impact. I'm glad this is over. Okay. I enjoyed this match uh, as much as you did. But I'm glad that they will never wrestle each other again, at least for the foreseeable future at Impact. Let both of these teams move the fuck on and do something else. I'm a little worn out on LAX Lucha Bros. So uh, from that perspective, I, you know, I'm just getting a little tired of these two teams because Lucha Bros, they just booked everywhere. Anyway. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for the Lucha Bros to just be a, you know, there, there was some somebody I think who added us and like, hey, are you going to give AEW shit for signing, you know, Phoenix and Pentagon to exclusive contracts? And it's like, you know, not really because I'm kind of sick of seeing those guys. Like I did the math when we were, I was at that, uh, the Blackcraft show at WrestleMania weekend. And I did the yeah. math of how many Pentagon Junior matches I've seen, you know, in the last few years. And there was a time where I was like, hell yeah, Pentagon. I have seen Pentagon Junior like 25 times live in the last like three years. Like I'm I'm good. You know what I mean? Like I love the guy, great wrestler. I'm good on Pentagon Junior matches. I've seen a lot of them. I'm ready to move on. So Both I might be these- spoiled, but you know, like you said, if you watch a few different promotions, you have seen this combo of people a bunch of times already. So Both of these teams are dangerously approaching overexposure. Um Brian Cage wins the Impact World title from Johnny Impact. Injures his back uh, early on in the match. I got to tell you, I give him credit for holding it together as much as he did for the rest of the match. He not only injured his back, he busted open his face. Johnny Impact worked over that face injury. Um, He did manage to hit a very awkward-looking drill claw to uh, win the match in the end because he could barely lift Impact up. Uh, Lance Storm, did they did not do the tropey thing and turn him heel. Johnny Impact drop-kicked Lance Storm uh, towards the finish of the match, and then um, you know he he did the belt shot on Cage and, and, and hit his finish, and then he had his uh, paid-off official jump in 
to count the pinfall. That was the big near fall of the match. I don't know why that pinfall would have counted since Lance Storm was the official in the match, but we'll overlook that. Uh, Lance Storm comes back in. Super they did address that, I, and I don't know if it would have counted. I think it may have just been a kind of a visual thing because Callis said, oh, that wouldn't even count. He's not even a real official here anymore. Oh, so like, Callis did cover that. He okay. did cover it. He said, oh, Johnny Bravo's not even a, a contracted official anymore. That wouldn't have counted or something. So they did kind of cover that, which I thought was I'm glad cool. they said that. I missed that, but I'm glad they said it. So Lance Storm comes back in. He super kicks Johnny Bravo. And then uh, Brian Cage hits the drill claw. Lance Storm yeah. count three. An important thing, too, Lance Storm did try to, like, motion like he was going to call for DQ. And yeah. Brian Cage kind of said, no, 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 please. Like, no, let me let me go after him. And Storm said, all right, fine. I, I don't want this. And he did establish that earlier in the match, too, if you remember. He said he didn't want to count out uh, Johnny Impact because Impact was going for a count out, which was also kind of a way to cover the Brian Cage injury where he had to be on the ground for, like, you know, 30 seconds. But they did sort of establish that that Storm wanted it to be a definitive winner. So not a D so cage saying, Hey, no, 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 don't, don't DQ him. Let me do it to him. You know, it was good. But like you said, the, the drill claw definitely left a lot to be desired. The one that I remember too. Uh, and again, left a lot to be desired because he, you know, couldn't fucking do anything with his back. So, you know, a, a minor miracle that he survived through the match itself. But uh, this pot that I remember, you know, in particular is he tried to put uh, impact through the table and, and Johnny impact was basically on the apron and Brian cage kind of like moved forward, like a quarter of an inch and impact just had to like fall down to this table. And that's when I knew that cage's back was just fucked when he couldn't even like lift Johnny impact, like a, you know, a foot off the apron through a table when he had to have impact literally just do that fall on his own. I was like, Oh man, this dude is, is just, so the fact that he could even do, you know, a power bomb to tie Valkyrie and, and the drill call to, to impact is a, is a minor miracle. So, so a lot of credit to him uh, on that as well. Knowing what we know now, I thought it was a really good match. Um, I thought under the circumstances, Cage was sure. Was oh, very, yeah. very he did, I mean, he did so much more than he probably should have. Yeah. Uh, maybe I, I don't know if it was like intermittent pain because there was times where it felt like he was like, okay, cool. He's kind of shaking it out a little bit. Uh, he's working it through. He would do something, but then you could see him kind of again, you know, stop and sort of grab. So I don't know if it was like a pulsating pain. I don't know what it was, but then by the end of that match, you knew. And then like the worst part was, you know, he hit the drill claw, he gets a title and then, you know, he's got this look on his face. Like, you know, the only thing he wants to do is roll to the back and figure out what happened to his back. But he knows he's got to sit there because Michael Elgin's going to come out and he's going to shoot a promo with him. And he's going to cut an angle with him and then he's going to take one of his moves. But you can see if you look, the look on Brian Cage's face as if like, oh, God damn it. Like, all right, I, I here we go. Be- like another 10 minutes before I can go to the back and figure out if I'm paralyzed or not. And it's just like you can see the look on his face. It's just like, let's go let's get this over with as quick as possible because I need to go to the back as quickly. If you read his tweets and his comments, he's very proud of this world title. Yeah, this he should be. This is one of those title reigns where the wrestler happens to be very proud of it. So I think that may have helped him gut it through. Uh, He even did like an informal poll the week before saying, hey, what are the most prestigious titles outside of WWE? Which is probably when he found out he was winning. And he just, he's excited about it. Good for him. Um, You know, and and Elgin came out. um, This was the big surprise. Uh, Look, I thought it was 100% lock. Elgin was going to end up with impact. With all his Canadian buddies there, and 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 um, and everything else, it's just a perfect fit. Uh, there were some big mic chants. I didn't hear any negative reaction whatsoever. I talked about this behind the paywall a little bit, but Rich, I don't think they're at this point. Um, I think enough time has passed. I think people see this story a little bit differently than they used to. I think a combination of factors. I don't think there's any danger in anyone using Mike Elgin at this point. I really don't. I think the only company that might have a little trouble is AAW only because they deceived people the first time they tried it outside of AAW. I think this breaks the seal on Elgin. And I think the bigger the promotion is the less trouble you'll have using them too. 
that's where I stand on Elgin. I really don't think it's uh, – uh, they're not even getting any bad PR off of this. Yeah, it's, it's a Twitter bubble thing in a lot of ways, and, and I get that. So any company, I think, that that prides itself on sort of appealing to the Twitter bubble, which which there are many that do that, and I, and I don't blame them. It's you know For some companies, that's fine is to, to sort of do eh. that niche. Some of them, I, I think, you know, they're probably not going to be running to do it, but most of your big-time – like you said, outside of that bubble, there's not a lot of people that even know the oh, whole story. Oh, I'm not and- – listen – I'm not saying everyone's going to use Mike Elgin. I'm saying if you do use Mike Elgin, there's going to be virtually zero negative consequences. Right, 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 right. I, I, I truly believe that. So I think, um, you know, that's the deal with that. Um, you know, it, it is such an inside baseball thing, the whole Elgin story. Most fans who pay for a wrestling ticket and sit down to watch an Impact pay-per-view have no fucking clue. No clue. So, um, you know, he's an impact moving forward. I think he's a good addition. I think that it freshens up the main event scene. Johnny impact's been in the main event scene for months and months and months, almost a year now, over a year now, actually, if we go back to the Austin Aries feud. And I think that uh, Mike Elgin and Brian cage, assuming health for Brian cage is a very interesting in-ring feud at the top of the card. Uh, I guess we'll see. Uh, Tessa Blanchard defeats Gail Kim. This was fucking awesome. Great. This was my favorite match of the show. Loved it. Yeah, I, I think I have it a little bit above uh, the, the main event. Right with you. Yeah. Uh, Gail Kim looked like she never stopped wrestling. She is incredible. No, she looked better than like 90% of women's workers in the rest of the world. You know what I mean? Like like out of out of retirement, she was like in perfect shape and just hitting all of her cute and doing everything. Like she she looked like she would be a top five wrestler right now if she, if she just was full time, which, which, you know, and coming out of retirement, that's that's awesome. There was no ring rust whatsoever. They, they were trying to play up the angle of like, oh, hey, the ring rust. And then like five minutes in, they're like, ah, we should just drop that because like she just looks perfect. You know what I mean? Like they kind of and I, I appreciate that. You know, Cal was trying to do like, oh, you know, Gail Kim's going to take a little while to kind of shake the ring rust off but then they noticed like five minutes in that she just was fucking great and hitting everything perfect it's like all right well we just dropped that story because we don't need it she's gonna be great anyway the bumps this woman was taking she got thrown <laughs> off doesn't the entrance need to ramp. and doesn't need to do any of this no. at all <laughs> she got thrown off the entrance ramp on her face then she takes an overhead power slam off the top rope from Tessa Blanchard. Oh, that and dude, oh she fell. The way she fell, I was, ooh. That looked like it hurt a lot, the way she fell on that one. So it was good for her that she was uh, she was able to kind of make that work. But yeah, that was brutal. That 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 power, the slam off the top, or the, the power, uh, whatever you want to call it, the, off, the, off the top rope. Yeah, yeah it was, rope. yeah. <laughs> she landed was, like on her. It was a road warrior hawk yes. overhead toss, <laughs> yeah. off the top rope. I mean, this match fucking ruled. And then you got Tully Blanchard at ringside. So Tessa tries to use the slingshot suplex. And 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 Kim reverses it into eat the feet, which was an incredible looking spot uh, for a near fall. And then uh, Tessa wins it clean in the middle. And if they don't turn her baby face off of this, they've lost their fucking minds. Because she goes and she hugs her father and they're having a moment and she's crying. And then she hugs Gail Kim. And if this was not, a turn if she just goes back to business i haven't read the spoilers on the on the tapings but if it's just back to business and she's a heel at these tapings no one there has a clue this was if it wasn't meant to be a turn 
you need to do an audible, and this needs to be a turn. Yeah, I'm because with you. This could make Tessa Blanchard a mega babyface. This was. I, I thought even the, the the inclusion of Tolly at any level was kind of like a, a little hint hint. Because as I'm watching it, I'm like, well, you can't really boo Tessa now. If like you know, she's like, thanks, Dad, I love you. You know what I mean? It's like your dad's Tolly Blanchard. You know him. You all loved him. Like I just thought that was, and then like the hug afterwards, I was like, all right, we got to be doing this. Like we can't just have her come back and be a cocky asshole. Um, you know, and just ignore everything that happened here. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe. The, yeah, by the by the nature of his promo before the match, because he wasn't cocky at all. It was just, hey, I love my daughter. It's like you can't – there's no way to heal that up. You know, they didn't have him come out there and do old school. Yeah, he just said we are a family so of right. respect and, but, uh, and honor, and I believe in yeah. you, and I love you. It's like, boo! <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. How do you boo that? Exactly. <laughs> right. You know? So, um, you know, uh, but yeah, this was just tremendous. Uh, all of this worked. Did you catch Robert Irvine? They put the camera on him, and he was uh, yelling Gil at the Kim's, Gil Kim's husband, Robert Irvine. Gil Kim's husband, Robert Irvine. Hey, there's Robert Irvine. Gil Kim's husband. Like, no, but did you, how could you did miss you, it? How could I miss Robert Irvine? No, but did you see the one the, the one thing where they put the camera on him? Oh, and he right? said, get away, get away, get away. And he was he was cursing at the cameraman yeah, and waving I, I his arms I did see because that. he wanted the guy to get the fuck out of his way because he wanted to take video of, of Kim coming to the ring. And then they quickly, the director cut away. I thought that was funny. Yeah, I was wondering um, what happened because I looked away and I saw him like kind of shoo him away. But that, I didn't see that he was holding the camera in his hands or, or holding his phone. So that's funny. Yeah. Uh, Rich Swan defeats Sammy Callahan. OVE rules to retain the Impact uh, X Division Championship. Listen, Sammy Callahan delivers on these Impact pay per views. He just does. I like this. I love the way Rich Swan worked. He worked with intensity. Um, I don't like him eating Sammy Callahan's spit. I've had enough of the spit. I can't do the spit anymore. Can we please stop spitting? And can we please stop eating each other's spit? It was vile. It was fucking disgusting. Okay. But as far as the match itself, it was Rich Swan playing Sammy Callahan's game and beating him at his own game. And this was a nice little three and a half star plunder match. What did you think of this? Yeah. So for me, I, I, I three and a half is probably about where I'd put it as well. Um, there were some parts that I didn't absolutely love though. I think it got a little too plundery for me. It got a little too much like, Hey, here's, I, I think when you get to the cookie sheet, time where you're just throwing cookie sheets at each other i you know th- th- just just skip that part just go to the if you want to be innovative and have like a plunder stuff like you know doing the legos and stuff which is quickly not becoming innovative anymore because everyone's doing the legos thing but i appreciate that in this part but there was like there was like a good three four minutes where they're just hitting each other with cookie sheets and i'm like all right guys that's just like that's just like you know shopping cart you know hardcore match you know 1999 al snow shit that i just don't really need uh that much anymore so i think it got a little plundery and a little too you know just kind of unoriginal but but all in all i still did enjoy it a lot and i thought by the end of it i was really into the match and really into rich swan uh defeating sammy but but i will admit that there was a part that that slowed me down a little bit and again comparing it to slammiversary there was almost nothing in the sammy kellen pentagon jr match that i didn't love whereas this one there was there was some spots that i was just like all right whatever let's let's get to the next thing that you're gonna do so Everything Sammy had for Swan, Swan managed to reverse it. He got the staple gun from him. He reversed the Lego spot. So this was a definitive story that they told where Rich Swan has finally overcome this guy and uh, and and put him in the rear view. Taya Valkyrie successfully defends the knockouts title against Jordan Grace. Jordan Grace takes her first L in impact, and it was relatively clean as uh, Taya Valkyrie puts away Jordan Grace. Did this surprise you at all? Surprised me a little, but in reality, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it, a little bit because it was very definitive. You know what I mean? Like, Taya just put her away, and it was just like, oh, okay, that that that's it for the undefeated streak of Jordan Grace. But but knowing, you know, 
what they think of Ty and, and, and I think Jordan, she'll recover from this a little bit as well. But uh, I was just surprised at how definitive it was. There wasn't a whole lot of back and forth. It was just, you know, like what a nine minute match. Uh, so yeah, that, that kind of shocked me a little bit, but I, I don't know that I'm shocked about the results uh, so much as I am just how definitive it was. I don't really like Taya, but I thought she was fine here. This is one of her better matches. I thought, and um, you know, uh, Grace takes her first L. She'll be fine. Uh, Moose and the North, the former Monster Mafia, defeat the Rascals, and Moose gets his win back against uh, Dez of the Rascals. He's not Desmond Xavier here. He's just Dez. Um, look, I don't like what they're doing with the Rascals. I didn't like the banana peel win for Dez on TV. I didn't like how they just kind of lost to these three guys here, even though they want to push the North. I get it. And I didn't like something I saw at the tapings where the Rascals lost to the Desi hit squad in a four-way tag match. I don't yeah, know what they're why? doing. With the Rascals. Stop making them lose. Yeah, what are you doing? I, I don't know if they're, they have heat, uh, but I don't like the way they've been booked recently. But this was, I don't know. I don't have a ton more to add to this match, and we're running short on time anyway. Yeah, that's fine. I got nothing. So. Um, Scarlet Bordeaux defeats Rohit Raju in an intergender match. This, of course, uh, has been set up for months. Uh, Gama Singh was horny for Scarlet Bordeaux. Um, that's where all of this started. Falaba and Scarlet have been feuding with the Desi Hit Squad. This is just a silly prelim undercard feud. And I got to tell you, this was nothing great. I don't even think it was good. But Scarlet Bordeaux was way better than she usually is here against, against Raju. She usually really stinks. But this was a passable match, and they and they kept it short. Uh, this, normally, I would hate something like this. This didn't even bother me. Yeah, five minutes um, is about the right time for any uh, Scarlet Bordeaux match. Having seen her live a bunch, she's like she yeah. knows what to do in the ring. She just doesn't always do it well. So five minutes right. is like perfectly to just get her in and out of there. And then we were supposed to get Eddie Edwards versus uh, Eli Drake. Eli Drake got fired, so they did a six uh, six way scramble match instead. Ace Austin, who I've turned the corner on. He wins a six-way that also included Eddie Edwards, Jake Christ. I thought it was Dave. I guess it was Jake. Uh, Jake Diener, the former Jake something, Petey Williams, and a wrestler I'm not familiar with, Aiden Prince. Um, this was very short, very inoffensive, and just a way to uh, put Ace Austin over. I have nothing else to add because there was really nothing to this other than Ace Austin stealing the pin after Petey Williams did the Canadian Destroyer. All right, so we got a few minutes. You want to go through the uh, Crockett Cup real quick? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we can just, we don't have time to do the whole thing. Um, I thought the Nick Aldis title match against Marty Skrull was excellent. Yes, great match. Um, way over-delivered. I thought, um, you know, the, 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 the scene, the way they, the set and the ring. Yes, with that was going to be my entire review, at- basically. Because uh, my, my entire review is going to be, and, and I'll let you go for it. Yeah, go ahead, and then I'll, I'll, I'll give my thoughts. They should keep that forever. I know they did it for the Crockett Cup gimmick, but that, you know, the blue mat with the yellow NWA lettering is just such a class. It just gives a distinctive classic feel. I loved it. And the match delivered. Um, we are not the biggest Nick Aldis fans, but he has delivered against Cody, and he has delivered against Marty Skrull. The rank-and-file title defenses are usually two-star specials, you know, the ones they put on YouTube. But when he's in a big spot, I have to give him credit. He always seems to deliver in these spots. Yeah, I thought Aldis did great here. 
Uh, I thought uh, Skrull, uh, again, you know, he, he kind of speaks for himself. For me, it wasn't Skrull that I was looking at. It was it was Aldous. Can Aldous yeah. deliver in the spot? Can Aldous get me interested? And and he, I, I, I got to give him credit now. I think he is kind of just one of these big match guys that maybe I don't love the personality. Maybe I'm not really into, you know, his 10 pounds of gold episodes and all that sort of stuff. But man, when he's in the ring in a big spot and a big match and, and, and a big moment, he delivers. And, 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 you know, between the Cody match and between this match, I can't say that I hate the guy. Anymore. You know, I can't say that I hate his in-ring anymore because he's had two of my favorite matches uh, over the last few years here because that, that Cody match, you know, being there live was a totally different experience. And this one I, I, I loved. I loved every part of it. I think they hit everything exactly how you're, you're going to want to hit it. And, and, and yeah, I think, you know, the, the blood was just at the perfect time. I thought the finish was okay. There was a little bit of shenanigans, but not enough to really take you away from it. So, no, I thought uh, I thought thumbs up there. I was kind of surprised that all this won. I thought maybe Scroll would, would have had a chance to win, uh, but obviously, you know, sticking with all this, we talked about it last week on on the overall when we previewed it. Is that being you know the NWA champion now entails more than just being you know a guy that can do some shows here and there. You got to be willing to be you know interviewed and 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 travel around and do all the f- videos and and do the ten pounds of gold stuff and 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 maybe Scroll isn't an opportunity to do that, or maybe I don't know. We 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 might also. Dude, are we positive that September is the the, the drop dead date for Scroll, and that's I don't not May? Any, I, don't, I don't think anybody's positive. I, okay, because I'm not. I, I used to think it was September, and now I'm starting to think it's May. Because like he, he, how would you not have him win either the NWA or the ROH title at this point? I don't know. I, I, I part of me thinks that everyone knows. They know someone's got to know more than what we know on the outside here because he's taken L's way sooner than I think he needs to be taken L's. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way people book these days. But uh, yeah, my review of the show itself wasn't going to really be match by match. That's why I think we can do it pretty quickly here uh, as we're, we're up against the clock here because there wasn't any matches that I think you have to really go out of your way and and, and, and watch. I think Briscoe's Rock and Roll Express you do have to check out because I think it's just fun and, and it's just, just such a conflict of styles. But those guys did awesome. Uh, Robert Gibson, I don't know where his health's at. I don't know if you know, but he didn't do anything in this match. Basically, Ricky Morton did everything. Uh, they teased the Robert Gibson tag. Uh, but the referee got uh, distracted, so Gibson went back, and then the Briscoes just beat Ricky Morton. So I don't know that Gibson even tagged in once at any point. Uh, but Morton, I mean, dude, Morton could be a regular full time guy. <laughs> like he still to this day could just take like he took six, you know, seven minutes of punishment from the Briscoes nonstop and looked great doing it. He got busted open like a minute into the match. Like he just fucking rocks. Ricky Morton can still go here uh even today so that was that was a fun match they definitely wanted to go out of your way and check out uh and then the villain enterprises versus kojima and nagata uh match definitely go out of your way to check that one out that was just awesome you know just brody king pco kojima and nagata i mean just close your eyes and imagine what that match is going to be and it was exactly that it was just awesome awesome stuff there but i mean otherwise there wasn't a whole lot else the the cool commander willie mack i don't think really jumped out of the page uh, to me, and then the rest of the stuff was kind of short matches but what i will say though is like you said graphic package they nailed it commentary Jim Cornette was awesome on commentary this entire show. He just adds such a different weight and just this different energy to everything. And it's like a dude that is excited about watching wrestling, is excited about what he's seeing, and wants you to feel what he's feeling. And it's just like, when you hear him, you realize how how shitty most wrestling announcers are. He was in there with Ian, Riccoboni, who I think is awesome as well. But like Cornette is just like him, Ian, and a few other guys get it. And everybody else just sucks. You know what I mean? Everybody else just stinks. And when you hear Cornette, you, you really get a feel for that. Um, but yeah, graphic packages, 
uh, the wipes that they use, everything that they did, the aesthetics just nailed it for the show. And all, ultimately, like you're not going to get a bunch of awesome matches. Like I don't think there's match of the year contenders on this this show, but it works as a crack cup because everything is like seven to eight minutes, ten minutes, just an easy watch. You have like I think eleven or twelve matches, <clears throat> eleven matches, just easy quick matches, definitive finishes. You know what the story is, you know who they wanted to win, and you know how they they got it across. But yeah, I didn't feel like I wasted a second of my time watching this entire show because like everything just it flowed well uh, and everything looked great as well. So definitely a thumbs up don't go in expecting match of the year contenders but go in expecting a pretty fun uh three-hour show that, that that'll entertain you for sure they've cleaned up the production dramatically and i really wish they would run more mm. often i i don't need them running weekly but you know I, I don't know once every other month maybe what are they running like quarterly basically 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 quarterly at this point yeah they, they are um I, I think they're coming back i don't know if they've said exactly but i know they're coming back sometime in the next few months but uh yeah they, they should run a little bit more because they are a top-notch production uh, through and through, and it so just I, has I a different more. feel than other indies. It's just a different feel, and I like I like the feel of these NWA shows. Yeah. It's hard for me to describe what that feel is, but I like the feel of the shows, and um, I do wish they would run more often. And Jim Cornette is the best announcer in the business, right? Oh, now. bar none. Yeah, it, it's not even close. And 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 he's great in this. And and I love there was a little thing too that um. <clears throat> You know, he gets that, that like other wrestling managers or other people in wrestling wouldn't quite get is that he's in there introducing the Rock and Roll Express and the Briscoes come in and the Briscoes just basically say, oh, hey, nice to see you, Jim. Now get the fuck out of my ring. And instead of like standing up to them or or browbeating them, Cornette just goes, oh, God, and runs out of the ring. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. just that little thing, like normal, you know, nowadays in 2019, the other manager would get up in his face and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And Cornette was like, fuck, dude, I'm out of here. You're the Briscoes. I'm getting out of here. And then just runs away, yeah. scurries to the announce table and goes, oh, goddamn, I almost died out there. Like, And it's perfect. Like, That's exactly what a manager should be. They should be chicken shits that, that, yeah. that, that the wrestlers are going to beat the fuck out of them. So they go, oh, God, okay, I'm out of here. It's just like yeah. the little thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's just one of these yep. dumb things that people just don't do these days. But uh, yeah, no, he was great in this. And, and yeah, it was top-notch production uh, through and through. So definitely, if you get a chance. Uh, check the show out because uh, I think you'll find uh, pretty entertaining. But that is it for us here on the Voice of Wrestling flagship. Of course, voiceofwrestling.com at Voices Wrestling uh, Patreon. Voiceofwrestling.com slash Patreon. Make sure you subscribe to that. And uh, yeah, that is it for uh, for us. So for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Creech. We'll see you next time on the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast. Take care. <laughs>